Hello and welcome to Movie of the Year, the only podcast on the internet that has the science and the screaming to determine what is the single greatest movie of any given year. My name is Ryan and I will be your host tonight on this journey to figure out what is finally the greatest movie of 2020. We have been doing this uh, season for a year and a half now. And also at the same time, everybody's already done talking about 2020. So this is weird for me. Uh, it feels like that it makes us the most important conversationalists as far as the year 2020 goes. Because we took the actual time to figure it out. Tonight, and for one night only, it is the film Promising Young Woman. With me to try to figure this out is Greg. Hello, I'm Greg. I am here to figure out Promising Young Woman. Greg, do you think this is something that you're capable of doing? I I think that it's uh I think it's a good movie for this show because it, there is a lot to figure out. There's a lot to think about. There's a lot to unpack. Um, I yeah as, I do I do think that this is going to be one of those episodes where I'm like, well, I think this, and then over the course of talking to you guys, oh, do I? Who knows? It is certainly one of those movies that when you are done watching it, you've probably been provoked in a number of ways, and you have just started a journey of like. Thinking about it and, and trying to figure out, you know, why certain decisions were made, and I think that the, that process is uh, is worthwhile and interesting. Speaking of twenty twenty, <clears throat> the host of the Mank episode of the twenty twenty season is here. It is Kate. Hello, hi guys. I'm here. Woo. I'm back. Are Mank. you ready for this shit? You. I'm sorry. Did you order a promising young woman? <laughs> 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 I didn't a know promising young woman obvious. and the Manx. <laughs> oh, that'd be cool band, man. <laughs> yeah, I like band names where it's not a person's name and then the nicknames. But uh-huh. let's do nickname and then the nicknames. Nicknames <laughs> <laughs> um, the names no, yeah, would be a so, great uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very, very much excited about being a, um, on this episode. I think this is a very, very cool movie. Um, and I'm really excited to help kind of Point out landmines that are invisible to you guys. <laughs> no <Okay>. way, Kate. <laughs> That's not why you're here. You're here because we love podcasting with you. Uh, yeah, just a gentle nudge left and right. Get you through. <laughs> Greg and Kate, do you think that the three of us are ready to do this? Do you think that we're capable? Yeah, I do. I think you guys are incredibly evolved straight cis white men in your late 30s. <laughs> and by the three of us, I mean uh, Ryan, Greg, and Kate. Yeah. yeah, the three of us definitely <laughs> have what it takes. All right. Is this pointed exclusion? I have. <laughs> hey, I have a welcome to my world, guys. buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Is this what it feels like to be a promising young woman? <laughs> Mike, who what? will clearly get last place in this uh, podcast <laughs> that is a game show talking about movies. Mike is here as well to talk about Promising Young Woman. Why clearly? Just because I'm brave enough to say, I don't know if this movie was for nice guys. Well, clearly- <laughs> <laughs> Nice guys finish last, even with a quarter. That should have gone over <laughs> yeah. the, 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 the credits. <laughs> that would have been a good, a good movie music moment. <laughs> yeah. I... So it's my job right now in the intro to ask you guys a question that is typically sort of a gimme. Uh, We almost always do these classic movies that are beloved. 
But we're doing 2020 and we're doing Promising Young Woman. So I really do not know the answer to this intro question. Uh, Greg, we're going to start with you. We're going to go okay. in the order of people introduced. Uh, this was such a polarizing movie. And we're going to get into the uh, the nitty, both the nitty and the gritty of the movie throughout the show. But Good. for right now, like opinions, it was so polarizing. What did you think of the movie? I, I loved it. Uh, parts of it sort of broke my heart. Um, and I think the first time I watched it, not everything shook out the way I was hoping it would. You know, it, what, what it reminded me of Ryan was, uh, um, she reminds me of Spike Lee a little bit. Like, y- you will come away feeling stuff from this movie. And I think ultimately you'll be like, oh, I see why she made all those choices and they were the right choices. But for a while there, I think I was a little ruffled by um, the ending of it and a little ruffled by how some of the characters turned out. But upon reflection, I was like, this, you know, this was a good movie. This is very interesting. So by Spike Lee, uh, Pop Filter Hall of Famer, what you're saying is that like uh, this, uh, if you gave this movie two and a half stars out of four, I guess that's cool. But this movie is for the people who gave it four stars or one and a half stars. Yeah. Why don't you guys converse? And she also draws from, I mean, we'll talk about her in a little bit, but she draws from like the whole toolbox. Mm-hmm. Like just because you're making one type of mu- movie doesn't mean you have to only have to do it one type of way. And yeah, she's it, it's it's provoking. I think it's a provoking movie on purpose. And I think it's like, a, it's a good topic to be a little provoked about. Which, I mean, just that sentence right there, like you were purposefully provoking is like kind of a, you know, that that's a talking point right there. Kate, mm-hmm. Movie in general, before we get into it, what did you think? I I really, really liked this movie. Um, I watched this movie a total of three times before we ended up watching this. Just damn. Um, or talking about this. But that's partially because um, I couldn't get through it the first time. Um, I didn't know what the content was going in. And so, you know, I kind of locked into a viewing of it, like on a casual Wednesday evening or something. And... Um, I uh, had to turn it off within within four minutes. And so then I watched it fully and kind of had a very cathartic cry afterwards with a couple of friends of mine and then um and then watched it again. and i I loved it every single time. It's just it is um it, revenge movies are very, very complicated. and um and there is a lot of pleasure and a lot of pain inherent to it. so i I really like the movie, um and I also think that it's you know, it, it, like a lot of things, there's the Trojan horse of like pastel color palettes and hair bows and all that stuff. Like there is in a woman's life, you know, that's kind of, um, masking a lot of very, very heavy content. So, um, I really liked how she navigated it. I think it was provocative. I think that it was intentionally so. I don't think it was sloppy. Um, yes. so I, yeah, I was I, into it. I definitely think that, that like we're gonna get into the word choices a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, like everyone involved is making choices and I want us to talk about what those and why those were made. Uh mm-hmm. Mike, I hesitate to ask you this, dude, because I just know how you are, but what'd you think of the movie? <laughs> I think uh my esteemed competitors made very good points. I didn't bring up the I didn't think about the Spike Lee uh comparison, but yeah, he makes entertaining polemics. And I think this is definitely one of those where, and and for what Kate said, very intentionally doing things to bother us, but sugarcoating it and being like, but we're going to make it in a fun movie. There's fun songs. There's nice things to look at. And it's going to be fucking funny the whole time your gut is getting ripped out of your body. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all of that is, if this was normal Oscar bait of like, we're going to talk about 
sexual assault very seriously. <laughs> I, I think what she's doing is so cool is like, you can talk about important issues and make a fun fucking movie at the same time. Mm-hmm. And, and it can send you all over the place. And that it doesn't need to be mutually exclusive. But the thing that's crazy to me about this movie, and I like, I thought it was good-ish. Like, I have my issues with the movie, but uh, I think there's so much it does well, and I'm so glad I watched it. But I think that what the movie does is it's not a, it's not subtly saying we should talk about important issues, but it's saying uh, how do we talk about important issues? You know, mm-hmm. like uh, uh, everything is confusing. Everything needs more nuance. And so every time you go, like all she wants you to do is start the conversation, whether it's ham fisted or whether it's uh, subtle and natural, uh, she sort of like attacks the conversation every sort of way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, let's do this guys. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about promising young woman. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening so far. And let me just tell you that everything ahead of this commercial is much better than what came before it. That's my guarantee. While I have you here, let me tell you about a website. It's called yourpopfilter.com. And it's everything you need that's related to pop filter. Everything Mike, everything Ryan, everything Greg, everything Cassie, everything is there at yourpopfilter.com. While you're there, go to yourpopfilter.com slash Amazon. Make that your new Amazon bookmark and do your shopping from there. That way, we get a little piece of the action, and Amazon doesn't. Make sure you're also listening to everything that Pop Filter has to offer, which includes the Superhero Show Show, a podcast that covers every single TV show that's based on a comic book or comic book property, and Movie of the Year, where we sit down and try and figure out what is the single greatest movie of any given year. That's Superhero Show Show. That's Movie of the Year. And that's yourpopfilter.com. Rate, subscribe, review, bye! In 2017, a scene popped into Emerald Fennell's head. A drunk girl is lying in a bed, repeatedly asking her would-be rapist, what are you doing? Eventually, the girl surprises the guy by asking the question one last time, totally sober, and then it cuts to the title screen. 2020's Promising Young Woman is the movie built around that scene, which ends the first segment of the movie. Picked up by Margot Robbie... And then cast by Carrie Mulligan and a bunch of entertainment's nice guys. Promising Young Woman tells the story of Cassie, a 30-year-old woman who spends her days working at a coffee shop and living with her parents. By night, however, she lives a secret life pretending to be drunk in clubs, getting approached and then taken home by these nice guys, and then surprising them by being sober and doing something. Cassie tries to escape the life she uh, leads when she meets Ryan, played by Bo Burnham, but is once again pulled back into the life. Taste Buds, I ask you this. This movie is by women, about women. In what ways do the filmic components of the movie, structure, form, stylization, cinematography, etc., recenter women? How does Emerald Fennell reappropriate the male gaze? And where does she tuck extra bits of quote-unquote girlishness? Ah, oh, such a good question. <laughs> Very complicated. <laughs> I don't think it is. I think what that question is really angling towards is talking about the movie in term in terms of its like formic um, components. Because Kate. I do think that there is an important um, distinction in the conversation around this film between the actual filmmaking and the plot itself. 
And I think that there's a lot of merit to see what she's doing as a filmmaker outside of this very tense conversation that's, you know, that has, um, that is kind of deserves its own sensitivity and deserves its own conversation. So I think engaging with like what she's doing as a director, what choices she is making as a director, I think, um, kind of lets us into the world, looking at the world through a woman's eyes. Mm -hmm. I think that she does that very well in a lot of different ways. I also think that a lot of male directors try to appease the eye first. And a lot of times Mm -hmm. when they say that or when they think that it's also trying to appease the boner first. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like I want to make sure that when we're leading into something that is awful, it's very clearly awful, but Shouldn't you have like a little bit of a boner? Yeah, the the where we meet Cassie and she's it's this like very haunting. She's framed right in the middle, and there's that giant red leather couch, and her arms Mm -hmm. are like outstretched, and she's like half passed out. Uh, And we pull back. A male director would go like up the toes and the ankle, (laughs) and the and this just shows her isolated immediately in this like big cavernous bar. Like she's immediately. We're just kind of worried about the situation instead of there's no there's no attempt at titillation. But there's also, I think, something that we see throughout the entirety of the film that's, I think, pretty subtle. But I noticed it enough to where I'm pretty sure she was being intentional about it is there's like a lot of Christ Catholic imagery throughout Mm. all of it. And um, uh, there is I mean, that first scene, you literally she's like, you know. She looks crucified. Yeah. She looks like a sacrificial lamb. She looks vulnerable, and um, uh, and and you see that body language again when she's inside the bed with Sean Cohen or whatever his name is. What is, what is and that guy's name? Adam uh, Adam Brody. Adam Brody. Okay, Sean Seth Cohen. Seth Cohen. <laughs> Seth Cohen. <laughs> Jesus Seth Christ! Cohen. All right, and then <laughs> wait for Greg and Mike. It um, also <laughs> every time she's sitting in her bed, right? The uh-huh. her bed has wings for her. Mm-hmm. Whenever she's just sitting there thinking. Mm-hmm. You know, like that gives her a different sort of thing. Sorry, yeah. Greg, go ahead. Yeah, I think that's kind of a a, a separate thing. Um, you know, I think that her the the Christ imagery also prefigures like the you know her pose when she's like finally dead at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, she like you know the, all the music from that point forward is all about like rising from the dead, uh, becoming like an angel. Right. And so then uh, there's that that second aspect, which is like she's an avenging angel, right? Mm-hmm. We see yeah. her from the the beginning of the movie what we have is like a a person who is not quite alive anymore um and when we think that we're going to see her reclaim that life it actually becomes the the avenue that leads her most directly to just her final destruction and so we what we see kind of is always like an avatar of pure revenge mm-hmm. and that's always the that's always the end of, of these revenge stories right revenge consumes the revenger because revenge classically belongs to the lord and not to you know yeah. to humanity and so there's there's no there's no end except for death for the revenger yeah and the- i think a part of it too is that it's not like this is a vigilante story which in sort of a way means a superhero story. Mm-hmm. And this is not following those typical superhero steps. This this starts like halfway through the story and then gives us the ultimate end. Not that we're getting to the end, but mm-hmm. of what, how those actual stories would, you know, uh, turn out. And so what we're seeing is just this, uh, this character going halfway, like halfway, halfway through where we normally start. And then dealing with the repercussions, which I think does throw us off. I think her status as a vigilante hero is complicated by the fact that she's like this Christ figure. Um, 
because in such a to me that's an incredibly feminine thing i think obviously christ is a dude we know for a fact that jesus was a man uh but there's a a lot of um what we consider like christian sacrifice is very um very associated with very feminine things um and uh there is so being a sacrificial lamb is kind of a very feminine state to begin with and so this is a person who literally sacrifices herself on behalf of this other person. Um, you see that even in her behavior, dropping out of um, dropping off out of med school to help someone. Mm-hmm. I have had friends who have had to do similar things like that. There's a certain kind of um, feminine sacrifice throughout all of this movie that I think is really powerful. And I think that one of the things that we see when we're, you know, if we're talking about it within this context of not just like a Christ figure, but a superhero figure is, um, uh, something and I read this somewhere, so I'm, I'm, it's not a completely independent thought, though I think it's very true. Uh, is that what one of the things that makes it such a cool revenge fantasy is that it is revenge as a woman would do it, meaning it is mm-hmm. not explicitly violent; it is psychological warfare, and it's oh, the yeah. kind of thing where it's like uh, you know, figuring out how to ruin a person's life by knowing. <laughs> Just will make some tick. <laughs> yeah, is, um, it's incredibly powerful, and I think that they did a really good job of make of combining that vigilante superhero Christ mm-hmm. thing all inside of like a fun little blonde. Because <laughs> in some boy movies, and we'll get to like the whole revenge fantasy thing in a uh, in a couple minutes, but because uh, in boy movies, uh, to get revenge, you either uh, punch them or shoot them, mm-hmm. or shoot punch other. Them. And then in other uh, boy movies, you either you you punch a gun right at their head, mm-hmm. and then it shoots them right at the last second. Yeah. But this one was different. Mm-hmm. Mike, I want to ask you this. I'll allow it. What what was it about this movie that did uh, bring this new filmmaker to you? Like, oh God, I like I, I this is somebody who I'm going to follow for the rest of her career. I I think it's the the like slick visual styling like it, it felt i don't i don't have all the vocabulary to talk about how it felt different it felt hitchcockian at times but then broke up that, those tense moments with jokes like she balanced tone in a way so few mm. filmmakers can and even like when spike lee does it it is jarring and i think it's properly jarring on purpose often but it's like er- sharp left turn into a new tone and she just tricks you man she's like oh it's sweet oh it's sweet punch you in the gut again. Here's another thing. Oh, your your guts are getting ripped out? Here's a very funny moment again. And just to be able to, like, it, it feels like a heightened reality, but at the same time, like, one of the most realistic movies I've seen in I can't remember how long because of that okay. blend. So I do want to talk about genre in a second, but uh, tone, this is a good place to talk about it now because I, I do feel like that that's a filmmaker's job is just tone control. Mm-hmm. And I think that it was interesting but not always successful. Am I mm. wrong here, Greg? I guess, um, you know, it reminds me, it's it's hard not to talk about this movie without thinking of um, I May Destroy You because it, I, I, I think there's a lot that's similar to it. But one of the things I think that is the same is, you know, uh, whatever tone this movie has, the world has a more fucked up and mixed tone than that. <laughs> Reality, you know, like, I, I think they might say this in I May Destroy You or it came up in our talking about it, but the truth is, like, a lot of victims don't necessarily fall apart in such a way that they just stop functioning altogether. A lot of people just drag their wounded limbs behind them and just sort of, like, get through life, 
one day at a time somehow failing forward and never addressing their wound and that creates tonal shifts where sometimes you're you're joking around and other times you're just like absolutely so wounded that you're curled in a corner and so i i think it's jarring for a movie but when i compare it to reality it just seems like well within the spectrum of of the kind of tonal shift you see in a day-to-day life and i do wonder if that is and and i don't want to be this person who chimes in every time is like i think it might be gendered but i do think that there's something to be said about like the um, the emotional complexity of like a woman's narrative of her own life is Mm -hmm. substantially different than that of a man's and i think that having a character i mean i i even i know that they for they know that emerald hired female comedy actors for non-comedic roles because of the comfort it gave those performers while dealing with such a heavy subject. Um, And I think that that is a fascinating choice. That's like non-diegetic just in terms of like, this is this tone, this mixed tone is something that is a product of attempting to kind of create comforting spaces for women, which are not like, they're not like, the sound in the fury. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're like, they're um, uh, much more, there's more gradation there. And I think that having comedic actors be completely stoic and having this weird mix of um, like success and failure in her attempts at retribution, I think, I, I think the messiness is very important. And to just that, it feels like a dude director would be like, no, we need to sit in this grief and tension for the three months we're making this movie. Mm-hmm. And for Emerald to be like, we should make it as fun and light as possible when we're not filming. Because yeah. this is enough because she's realizing how many of the women are just actually going through yeah. what Cassie has gone through. And to have that wherewithal and thoughtfulness, a, a moment that I think sh- shines in the movie is when after her first finally date with Ryan uh, and he's just like, Oh, do you want to like keep this going? Like it's a fun light date has been so far. Mm -hmm. And I don't think he means anything gross. He's just like, you want to come up and have a drink? And she recoils because this is what all the nice guys she hunts do Mm -hmm. uh, very predatorily. And I think that has to be so real of where a dude is just like, I was, I I didn't know what that's such the male privilege where like, I do think women have to at every point, run those abacus calculations of like, is this real or am I in danger? Yeah. And, but uh, a couple of examples. Oh, sorry, Kate. No, (laughs) no, no, no. You go ahead. I'll, I'll, I'll get the next one. (laughs) A couple of examples I want to point out is, uh, Cassie's parents house, which is, uh, it's extreme, but it's not as extreme as I think that Michael Bay would have done. (laughs) You know, if he made this movie, just explosions. Um, She just lives in an explosion. She lives in her aunt's house mm-hmm. or her great aunt's house. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's it's crazy. But the other thing, the the biggest one that I hit was uh, once we got to rom com time and Paris Hilton was playing. Uh, they walked into a pharmacy that had the word yeah. pharmacy like in big neon lights above, yeah. and like it, it was just such a change of what we were seeing before. You know, mm-hmm. like this is. Uh, as far as we know, like this is just a normal pharmacy sign, yeah. but like the way that Cassie is seeing it right now, it's just big, yeah. p- bright purple pharmacy. I think that um, I think that's lovely because I had not thought about that. Of co- that's a ridiculous way of structuring a pharmacy. They don't. Do oh yeah. That. <laughs> I, I think we all know we're inside head. the pharmacy. It was very. It, it felt to, it felt to me like it was uh, supposed to be like a music video yeah, like yeah. A, 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 even the extras an enchanting moment yeah even the extras are framed in such a way that you are forced to realize it's the same like two or three people in the pharmacy in uh-huh. every single shot and 
Mm-hmm. In that scene, uh, that's when like Cassie and Ryan are like sort of like mm-hmm. dancing like crazy kids in a rom com, mm-hmm. and uh, all the extras are like, "What? They're not supposed to be doing yeah. this, but I love it. <laughs> no. This is life affirming. I love." There's two employees in the extras. One is just smiling and watching them, and then the <laughs> other is glaring. Because if yeah. you've ever been like drunk in New York and you think you're having fun in the store, the you're employee is not having life fun. Hell. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I have to clean that later. Cool. Yeah. Cool, Thanks cool, cool, for cool, cool. blowing up that bag of chips. I'm glad your girlfriend's going to kiss you later. <laughs> <laughs> I think... Uh, go ahead, Kate. Oh, um, It's your turn. Uh, <laughs> I think that going one other uh, flip coin side of the, the coin in terms of the interaction between Bo Burnham and Carrie Mulligan outside of his apartment, because I think you're right. It It, it is um, very complex because I think... One of the things it shows, obviously, is like this, not this sincerely, at least, you know, within this moment in the movie, good guy, nothing, no ill intent, um, triggering something in this woman that, you know, like, wasn't necessarily his job to, like, know about any, you know, whatever. I think that that movie or that scene, um, what it does particularly well um, is it it shows something that's very real um, for women, for survivors, as well as uh, the women close to survivors. Because I think one thing that this movie does really well is illustrate just how much it is a ripple effect through the community. It is Mm -hmm. not one person's trauma. Um, So many people are affected by that throughout that movie. Um, And and one thing that I think is very true about um, any any form of abuse in one way or the other that I think is um, not always understood by those in power slash men is how much uh, the trajectory of your life changes. It isn't just a distinct moment of trauma. She is no longer in med school. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those things are really powerful. And her friend committing suicide after a horrific act of, like, public rape, um, yeah, her going on a date with... Her intimate relationships are affected. Her ability to be trusting, her ability to feel safe with someone is fucked up. And I think that scene when she's walking away and she kicks over the trash can, I don't think it's anger at him. I think it's anger at the entire emotional situation she's in where she wants to have a crush on Bo Burnham. She wants to be with this guy. Um, uh, But everything in her is so afraid and so angry. And you can't really square that, you know, between like the candy pop like romantic comedy with like a cute thing that you want and kind of the harrowing <laughs> reality that you have monologue over and I, <laughs> I mean that that Bo Burnham scene does have a you know like an analog yeah which is you know she wants to she wants to be in like with Bo Burnham mm-hmm. and she can't and she kicks the thing over she also wants to fucking and we'll get to this later but she also wants to destroy Alfred Molina mm-hmm. and she can't mm-hmm. because he is sort of like apologetic for that and so then she goes and destroys like a pickup truck mm-hmm. two seconds later. But like this has to come out somewhere, mm-hmm. you know, like it, it's 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 uh, moving in her body and then out of her body as soon as possible. Yeah. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, we have to take a break. But when we come back, a shopping spree through the film Promising Young Woman. <laughs> this feels awkward. <laughs> Hola, Felterinos. I just wanted to interrupt real briefly and say thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. If you want to support us a little more directly, you can go to patreon.com slash yourpopfilter. There, depending on what tier you pick, $1 a month, $5 a month. If you're crazy, anything more than $5 a month, don't do that. You can get extra content. There's extra shows, extra series, uh, behind-the-scenes stuff. 
uh, you could pay for Ryan to draw you a picture. Uh, I can write you a poem. You can get the shirts off our very own backs. All of that and so much more over at patreon.com slash your pop filter. While you're on the internet, you should check out Shady Monk. He does all the tunes you've been listening to. He's on Bandcamp. He's on Spotify, uh, SoundCloud, wherever kids get their music these days that I'm too old to know. Shady Monk lives there. Uh, you can probably follow him on Twitter and Instagram as well. That's Shady Monk. Wherever you get music, check him out. Hey, Daddy, I want to go and here we go again. All right, sweetheart, all right. Daddy will get you a golden goose as soon as we get home. No, I want one of those. I'm gonna pop some tags. Only got $20 in my pocket. That's right, folks. It's motherfucking shopping spree. Boom. Where we get a little time to take a break from talking about the movie and dive into the movie and not worry about all of the complications or do it. It's up to you. What we're going to do is you three... Mike, Greg, and Kate are going to grab shopping carts, and I'm going to give you 30 seconds, but uh, of course, it's going to be 10 minutes and one at a time. <laughs> grab what you want to take out of this movie if the movie was its own shopping spree. Greg, yes, you're up first. Where are we going? All right, Ryan, I have the first pick, and that's a terrible responsibility, one I'm sure I won't live up to, but I am not going to let uh, this one slip with the people who are drafting next to me, so got to jump in first. I don't want to say that much about it, but I would like the coffee that she spit in. Ah! Yeah, you're not getting the spit coffee, jerks. It's mine. Wow. Isn't that how we uh, automatically knew that Ryan was a terrible person is because he drank that coffee? No. no don't it kink was shame. the cutest. Uh, I swear to God, I think that was the cutest meat food uh, I've seen in a very, very long No, time. there's not. I thought it was a very sweet I don't think cute. we should. It's hard with Ryan, but I don't think we should necessarily discount everything Ryan does. I and swear to fucking God, Greg, if I hear I say this to my wife all the time. time. <laughs> 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 but um, yeah, I'm a big coffee drinker. Everybody knows that. <laughs> and maybe you put a little spit, get a little. Thing. And you, you like a little tang. All right. Uh, so, Kate, spit coffee is off the table. Where are we going? Sorry, Kate. I know. Um, I am going to go with um, all of the hair bows she wears throughout the entire movie. Um, one of my favorite things about um, the giant equation that is um, the gender question is. Uh, yeah, like women have to deal with like gang rape and extreme physical violence, but you know what we do get? Colors. <laughs> <laughs> we get sparkles. We get fuzzy stuff and hair bows. It- and they rule and they make everything a little bit easier. And I love that throughout this entire movie, she caters to just how much like girls like looking at fuzzy sweaters who have sparkles <laughs> and little pom pom pens. And um, yeah. She so has I a revenge scrunchie. She has a revenge When she's scrunchie. writing in her little revenge <laughs> notebook, there's always the scrunchie she has on her wrist. I know. Her little uh, her little nails that are all different rainbow colors. Yeah. I, so I want her hair. Okay. Bows. I feel like you could have uh, waited on that one. But Mike, where are we going? Oh. <laughs> uh, I'm going to do what I, I think I typically do. That I, I, I'm a real estate mogul and people know that about me. I know horrific things happen there, but that goddamn cabin. For the, the, the in the final segment, right. looks so dope, and I just want to party with friends in in fun, cool, totally nice ways, and nothing like what happens here. Uh, but I want that cabin. You know what I thought was nice about that cabin when Schmidt opens the door <laughs> and he sees Carrie Mulgrew there. You notice this is a feminism win, and so I want to point it out. He says the doctor's here, 
And I want you to think about that. I want you to think about yeah, that. Yeah, he didn't say he the didn't nurse. Say That's right. how you know he's he one of the good that. ones. So it's something, just something to think about. Yeah. That is something to think about. Um, after that round, uh, Haribo's, is is that the gummy bear company? <laughs> yeah, that's Haribo is my favorite candy I can't Haribos. eat anymore because of the slave labor. they steal diamonds from slaves, oh, that's... right? Well, they make kids do it. Well, those slaves you, okay. carrying their Mike, diamonds. Real, what do they think is going to happen? Mike, real quick, name one candy you can eat that doesn't come at, le- at least in part from slave flavor. Sure, Greg, but I know for Ironically, a fact this Sour one does. <laughs> <laughs> I know for a fact Haribo does. So I I'm just can't. fun, and I'm just saying it's kind of fun the way so many of our products. Sometimes Greg be goofy. So, yeah, yeah. it's impossible so to be a good person. Like the tomatoes. Uh, like, anyway. But I can't eat a five-pound Haribo gummy bear a week like I used to, and that makes me sad. I'm gonna. Yeah. I cannot believe this, but I'm gonna give that point to Greg for <laughs> spit coffee. <laughs> Mike, it's your turn again. You have a cap. You have a rape cabin. Where are you going from no. there? No, <laughs> it's just a cabin. It's just a cabin, hey, Ryan. So one man's rape cabin is another dude's cabin. Yeah, that's what they and say. And that's how it happens. That's why I don't ask <laughs> real estate agents the history of a woman was only man. murdered in that cabin. Oh, you that's guys. true. We don't that's know true. that anybody was raped there. Uh, I t- I want to hashtag not all men. <laughs> exactly. I want to decorate this uh totally normal cabin. Uh, there. I maybe it's because the shot is so stunning, but the, the opening shot. I want the leather couch that is so powerful it starts to eat into the wall in the first club mm. bar she's in. Uh, it's so swanky and dope, man. It's probably not helping the vibes that Ryan is saying is part of my cabin. Oh, but I would like I think for it's my a cool rape party cabin, place. The uh, <laughs> the rape couch that's in the first bar. Yeah, for sure. You you can just put that word in front of the any other word couch. and make it sound bad, man. Kate, leather couch is off the <laughs> yeah. table. What are we taking? Um, I would like every single light fixture inside of Jennifer Coolidge's house. <laughs> um, there is nothing that can win my heart over more than a tacky chandelier. Um, and if there are seven, <laughs> sign me up. Sign me up. Oh, man. You would love my grandmother. <laughs> I'm sure I would. I love old ladies and the boldness with which they decorate us. I love those parents. They are clearly <laughs> like based on like two 75-year-old parents. And instead, they're just like... 55 or whatever they are but <laughs> how out of it they are in direct proportion to like in how much denial they are about what whatever it is their daughter's doing because they know something is that that she's yeah. lying to them and so they are just yeah. swamped in their denial and it has made them both into sort of like simpletons almost but still like yeah. selfish enough to seem like we just want a good breakfast we actually don't <laughs> care if you get fixed we just want to have like a less awkward breakfast yeah, we want yeah. it to seem. I think right. they have. I don't think. I don't have to tell my friends that you suck anymore. They didn't see that bad. Do you see? Like they have no idea what. Are to they do. worse than Donnie Darko's parents? No, I think they're much better. I think there is sincere sympathy from the mother's side and a lack of understanding. And I think that the way the dad, um, the conversation that was had after dinner was very. It felt very real. The kind of way fathers try and express. I know, but like, he kept saying like, "Oh, I wish that you, you were know. the way that you were before I had to." do work well yeah we we really missed you and i I think that that is hard but also there is truth to like the ghost state of like she wasn't a person you know that's the thing is that when we were when we find her she's not really a person yeah um so i don't mind that she her dad doesn't i think she definitely like dies (laughs) before this movie even starts like i was so shocked that she died then i'm like dude are you paying any fucking attention (laughs) (laughs) spoilers Uh, we'll get We'll get to that in a second. But Mike, uh, huh? what 
weird thing do you want to buy from this movie? I mean, I, I you know, I'm going to own it now. Ryan made this happen, so I'm just going to keep going with the vibe of everything I'm getting. I'm taking McLovin's Coke. <laughs> Somebody should. <laughs> that guy needs to be relieved of his cocaine. I'm hanging out in a cabin with a giant red leather couch just doing a mess of coke. And before we move on... Before we Dude, even discuss so it, Mike gets the points. Mike gets two points. <laughs> yeah. And Mike, you get another turn. Whoa. I get Bonus another turn. turn. That's how good. Hey, you did more coke. You get another turn. <laughs> okay. Uh, then I'm going to take know, like the wig land. she has. The, the, like, the infamous <laughs> wig from the poster and when she's dressed up like the doctor. That wig is dope. I think it would make my life better if I had it on all the time. <laughs> We're not going to talk uh, about the... Uh, you know, variety collection of things in Mike. Show. so should we talk about it now about how the variety article called her out for like quote unquote not being hot enough and looking like she was someone in drag what what, oh, what? All, i had not heard news to you guys not... had not heard uh, you know honestly my subscription to variety ran out when i never had one ryan <laughs> come on bud <laughs> variety <laughs> I also I want to point out uh, to Mike that between the cab and the coke, the leather couch and the wig, you are kind of dancing dangerously close to the to the Buffalo Bill archetype. <laughs> oh, can I draft wild horses? I know it wasn't here, but I'm gonna. Uh, my final draft pick is a flowing robe from the film Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> Would you fuck me? Oh, Wait. God! Right, so, so, Mike, bad. what are you taking? <laughs> The, the the dope rainbow wig. Right. Yeah. Kate, can you beat a rainbow wig? I mean, okay. Can I just like take hmm. the wig? No, Mike just did. <laughs> no, I know. I'm right. thinking like as a woman, what is my right in terms of reclamation in this moment? <laughs> um, okay, if I if I'm not allowed to take anything that if I'm not kind of served. Um, reparations in this moment. Uh, then what I would like is um, Alison Bree's um, wine lips. <laughs> uh, she's she looks so drunk when her lips so blue. <laughs> and uh, I loved I loved watching her uh, fake day drunk. I love I love someone casually saying, "Are we out of a bottle? Yeah. Let's get another one." As if there's for me just like the shame of someone else witnessing that instinct. Yeah, you um, should do that at home alone. <laughs> that's, a, that's a that's an alone time. While watching Home Alone, <laughs> uh, having seen the film Happiest Season, are we worried about Allison Brie's career and being typecast as a total bitch? Oh, that's kind of been her thing from the beginning. She's so precocious and like kind of anxious seeming that like. You know, yeah. in Glow, she's cast in a way that's supposed to be unflattering. Uh, in Community, she was cast as like a very like. Ah, well, I think you know, that like, Glow was a I little more three-dimensional than. You yeah, know what it is? Getting since then. That's true. I think to like keep herself in shape, she has made herself so angular and severe looking, which is demanded of her. Yeah. That that's kind that is kind of pushing her into a space. Like mm-hmm, she yeah. has to work out like <laughs> eleven hours wow. a day, and now she kind of now she will always be the villain of You're the so Beverly right. Hillbillies. Yeah. So. <laughs> No, you're so right. Like she's there is uh she has reached a certain kind of angularity that will typecast her forever to like this snippy ass. Because she can't go back to uh, playing has this... 18, so now she has to exactly. be super fit whatever Alison Brie is in age in real life and then that like I yeah. think that starts so you just like how many roles are there for women? You know, the bitch is always going to be in something, right? So like Yeah, the bitch yeah. is a classic. It's a classic yeah. bitch. All right, Mike, in this third <laughs> round, you're up against a rainbow wig and wine lips. Where are we going? 
<laughs> I feel like I haven't picked in a month of Sundays. Is anybody else feeling like it's never Greg's turn? No, this is Greg's turn. He said, Mike, he met Greg, because I got the ring. Oh, right. okay. Greg's turn. Woo! Um, Bet you feel like a little bitch now, Greg. <laughs> yeah, you're that classic bitch. All I had to do was get all whiny, and I got exactly what I wanted. Um, <laughs> so let's see. Okay. Uh, Gales is supposed... This is what I like about... One of the things I really like about this movie, Gales is supposed to be a shitty little coffee shop. Who would ever want to work there? Um, they're not particularly nice to anybody, right? So you would expect it's going to be like dingy and shitty. Instead, it has like the nicest, tastiest looking treats I've ever seen. Gail's little coffee shop that she works at, including these little like uh, Swiss roll uh, looking things. And so I want mm. some of these Gail's coffee shop tasty treats. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good you. choice. Mm-hmm. And you know, probably I'll like I'll put young. I'll put some of them up on Instagram um, and show Ooh. people what I'm eating. Let them know. Yeah. I have seen myself in a rainbow wig and in wine lips. Greg. And once again, that's Greg. We're going to do one more round. Greg, what's the last thing that you're going to buy? Speed round. Okay, last thing I'm going to get. She has so many pretty pink fuzzies, but one of them she has is a pretty pink fuzzy sweater with like flowers on it. Um, mm-hmm. It just looks really nice and really cozy. And Kate, go. I'd hug it. Uh, I want her medical kit. Seems practical for kind of survival. Oh my goodness. Go Mike, go. Yeah. Tire iron. <laughs> Meat plus yeah, road these are rage. Utilitarian it comes with a, choices. A side of road rage. And if you've ever been paying attention to what I am saying, it's sweaters all day. Greg Brr. gets that point. When we come back, more about promising young woman. Well, that is very, very funny. Or very sad. And perhaps now you have something to think about. Or very problematic. And perhaps we have something to think about. But in any event, I'm sure you have some reaction to what you're listening to. So why not check us out on the social media? You can go to Instagram or Twitter and find us at Your Pop Filter. Email contacts at Your Pop Filter. Hey, everybody. Keep watching them movies. Back to Promising Young Woman, guys. That was all fun, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. It was fun. Okay. But a hoot. the content in this movie is upsetting and triggering. Revenge fantasy is a genre unto its own. What do we think about revenge fantasy films? What are they aiming to accomplish? And do we think that they end up accomplishing it? Revenge fantasy was a genre that sort of like sort of ruled the B-movies of the 70s and 80s mm-hmm. in a way that this is a throwback to that, mm-hmm. but also a very 2020 movie. Do we think that it balanced both of those things at the same time? Yeah, I, I think by playing with the expectations because it, it's so B and pulpy, it it hides those higher level thoughts within there, right? And gets away with more because there's so many people who I think would see this because they're like, oh, a revenge movie who it's a revenge movie plus an art house movie. And if it was just the art house movie, they'd be like, no, but because it has the trappings of the revenge movie. And then Kate is the reference that like plays with it because revenge, we just want to see her bash that tire iron through McLovin's fucking teeth. And because we don't, you're always on the edge of the seat for that. And the the mind games that happen that she plays, she's so much more subtle and smarter than the guy from Blue Ruin. And in uh, full disclosure, a great revenge movie, Mike. I will give you another point for that. Uh, in full disclosure, we are going to save the ending discussion for a different segment. So mm-hmm. I don't know if this is going to be hard to talk about. But uh, yeah, Greg and Kate, what do you guys think about what Mike just said? I think that um, it 
it's funny. A character suddenly at the end of the movie references 90s movies. And it seemed like a lot of times it had the trappings of, of a 90s um, thriller. And that I kind of expected, like, there is a twist in this movie. Uh, I think, but I expected there to be maybe a bigger twist. And I think that's one of the ways in which it plays with genre is that you feel like there is that thriller-esque aspect to it. But I think when it's all said and done, the story of this movie remains pretty straightforward. Mm. We know what happens from the beginning. We know who the victim is and we know that she is probably gone forever. Right. Um, And nothing is surprising in the course of the movie about any of that. I guess the twist is that Bo Burnham turns out to be uh, a big piece of shit. And, but that's not quite the same level of twistiness as like 90s thriller movies. But I think it always plays with that. So, Greg, when you say 90s movie, uh, thriller movies, what are you talking about? I guess. Um, like Basic Instinct? Yeah, like the, there was this whole the genre. Game. Of like sexualized thriller, what's going on? Twists of yeah, who the bad guy is, what is really going on? Very twisty plots and um, and Starship those, Troopers. In those twists, somebody might <laughs> somebody might seem at one at one moment like we we don't know if this person is a killer or is a victim. Um, and so then by the end, you, you you're kind of left with a, a, a twisted story. That, that's what I meant of the 90s movie. Whereas this, I think when you get to the end, it's it, it's ultimately very, it's much more straightforward than that. Kate, a lot of times on this, on this show, we talk about a uh, tone backlash or genre backlash of, mm-hmm. you know, this, this whipped me back and forth too hard and therefore was like uh, unenjoyable or so surprising that I was not entertained. We go from a uh, very funny moment to... Um, you know, like this exploitation film, you know, like mm-hmm. when she looks up before she kills Seth Cohen or does whatever she does to Seth Cohen, she looks up into the camera and smiles and then it cuts to a uh, a title screen with the, like the, the Roman numerals of the, yeah. like we're, we're setting up a thing here. And then we also have like a rom-com middle, you know, we have a rom-com mm-hmm. act two. Mm-hmm. Is this tonal whiplash? Um... It's it's hard to say. I, well, I think if I think it is, and it's very intentional. Um, so I think then the question is like, does is it effective in what it's trying? Does to it do? work? Yeah, yeah. Um, a part of me thinks that that conversation goes all the way back to the question of revenge films to begin with, um, which is movies with the idea of reclamation involved. You know, so a lot of exploitation films. Are like that, um, especially from the seventies, and it doesn't have to be sexploitation stuff. You know, it can also be black exploitation. It can be a lot of different sort of reappropriating um, oppressive narratives in a way that makes asserting your story um, as equally valid. Uh, you know, we see that in like Django Unchained. This is a very similar type of idea, which is like Kate. replenishing a very toxic story with like the 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 perspective of those who suffered at the hands of it for a very long time. I think that's very important. Um, But I think that this is like a conversation that is writ large throughout our culture, which is like how much, how much does like being Paris Hilton, who is very keenly aware of the image she is projecting and is very self-exploitative and uh, is very aware of the system in which she's operating as like this blonde woman, you know, with certain whatever, like 
the questions of what is healed by reappropriating things, I think is very hard. Um, because there is something you want to feel satisfied seeing those men go to jail, but you don't because you just watched a woman be suffocated for two minutes. Um, you, there isn't, there isn't for me, at least I can't speak for all women. I can't speak for all anyone, but, um, uh, hashtag that is not the all women. Per- hashtag not all women. I definitely think that there is, I think it's hard. I think it's hard to know whether or not, um, there is something to be found, some healing to be found in these kind of films. When I talk to my female friends about watching this movie, um, female friends, mom, sister, people, uh, none of them wanted to watch it. And the people who did uh, said that were like, yeah, I I could see myself watching it, meaning like they'd have to gear themselves up to watch it. So then who is that audience for? You know, who is this movie for and what is it giving to them? I think that that is... I think that's a genre question uh, that Emerald Fennel does a really good job at kind of like picking at. Okay, so then I guess the ultimate question of this segment is, is Emerald Fennel asking questions and starting conversations that we need to answer and we need to have? Or does it feel like, oh, she just she only cares about the conversations that happen after you watch the movie? Hmm. No, I, I think she. I think she's taking to task revenge fantasies as well because the, what, what's great about over the top violence is it, it is that release and catharsis and like this like old school biblical feeling justice. But by the way Cassie gets her revenge, like what she does to the dean, Dean Tammy, coach's wife, uh, it you're like, oh, you broke that person in a way I would rather watch you beat her face in than what you made her go through th- making her think her daughter was in the middle of being raped. And so it started spiraling me of like, is revenge okay? <laughs> Which is like maybe a simple question, but like, All right, I think so, so many of the, the more basic movies are just like, hell yeah, it is. And don't interrogate that. Yes. I do think that this, this movie does succeed and fail both at the same time of uh, asking and answering questions. Right, as opposed to just the asking or mm-hmm. just the answering, which both movies, th- both of those types of movies are terrible. Um, let's. Why don't we focus in on uh, that segment that Mike just brought up? Um, Cassie goes in and talks to Connie Britton, who, much like all of the supporting actors in this movie, uh, Connie Britton has only played the bestest best people, and now hey, she, y'all, <laughs> now she's put into this role of somebody who. Uh, heard about Nina, Cassie's best friend, uh, getting uh, what uh, raped or gang raped, and did nothing about it to protect promising young men because we don't want to ruin their future. What the way that Cassie handles this is to find a girl who is dressed fully like Cher from Clueless. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, like the yeah. Clueless. I think is all over this movie as much oh, yeah. as any. Well, 70s the girly film movie. is anything that is like. That's a whole yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, um, and and uh, gets she takes that daughter, Connie Britton's daughter, to a donut store and says like uh, BTS or somebody is going to come and like you know, wet dreams. Uh, <laughs> shoot a video with you, but makes Connie Britton think that uh, her daughter was taken to a frat, a similar the frat, frat, the frat, no, the exact same, house, the exact yeah. same frat that uh, ended up raping Nina. And this is the point where we're like, oh, damn, if if Cassie is uh, Iron Man, if Cassie is Tony Stark in these vigilante movies that we're comparing, 
we don't have that moment with Tony Stark. Mm-mm. You know, so uh, does the movie turn for you? Guys? Not even when he made Ultron. <laughs> <Not even. laughs> and Cassie could have done that at any point. Uh, does that change your opinion about uh, Cassie and Emerald Fennell and her movie? Well, she just makes you feel like how it would feel, right? I mean, it's it, it, she very purposely never puts a woman into a situation in which she would be alone with a man and at his mercy because you literally this is perhaps the the most harsh indictment offered by the movie you literally can't do that you can't just take a woman and just put a woman with a man like Mm -hmm. you 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 couldn't risk that Mm -hmm. the thought that that well she does though in a different situation where with alison brie with alison brie she said but no she doesn't though she doesn't she pays that guy very specific she makes sure that a man that she has paid somebody to not do that because it has to be a professional person because you couldn't just professional not raper yeah because you couldn't just leave her drunk in that bar rape women I, yeah. I'm putting that on my resume. From yeah, now exactly. On. Because because if you just left her drunk Interests. in that bar in this society, there is too good a chance that she will literally get raped. Mm-hmm. So you have to actually pay somebody to sort of go through the motions of pretending to do that because that's how dangerous it is. It, so not only like that, I think that I think that one of the in, very interesting and subtle things that she did within that like revenge fantasy specifically was uh, that. I don't think the guy implied that he raped her. What she did was leave Alison Brie entirely in her own head about mm-hmm. what yeah. happened. So all of that blame, all of that fear, all of that anxiety, all of that self-doubt, that is how she tortured Alison Brie. Um, and so, yeah, it is, it is like paying him not to rape her, but it's also like all of the torture is within her own mind based on the guilt of getting drunk enough to be compromised. Yeah. Um, and that is the that that is exactly what makes it such an effective parallel uh, to the to the Nina story. So that's what do, I guess that's what doesn't bo- like in the moment where you think that maybe she has subjected <laughs> this woman's daughter that then I was like, holy shit, what's right. going on? And and a lot of the framing at, at to this point in the movie has been like very evocative of horror movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and that continues at different times. But the viewer does not quite know what the viewer is seeing yet. And you're mm-hmm. really questioning, like, what am I going to put up with in, in the name of, of watching this woman get revenge um but when you do realize that that it's just in this woman's head i i then it 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 feels it feels different because it feels like that is that has to be the battleground it has to be our feelings uh, our ability to like project ourselves into situations and feel for victims that that is what we have to learn how to do and if the only way we can do it is not through empathy but to literally be put into what we think is the same situation Mm -hmm. then that seems I don't know, permissible. Okay, but what about the fact, though, that at a certain point, like, I would say, like, this movie has three acts. I don't know if any other movie has ever done that, but I'm going to say that this <laughs> movie does. Uh, the middle brave, act feels brave like... Brave to go- say. Go- I thought it worked. Going from, I'm going to make <laughs> men pay to, I'm going to make women pay. I'm going to make well, women think about their responsibility in this. It's a, I mean, it's a rape culture. You know, like, the patriarchy, like, extends its tentacles into all of us none of us get free of it even even the ladies the ladies get caught up in the patriarchy and they do it just as hard as the gents sometimes Mm -hmm. yeah because allison brie is like well she drank so you kind of deserves it i yeah there is um uh anecdote moment um so do you guys remember mattress girl she was quite popular Yeah, yeah yeah so mattress girl was um uh, they were 
very they were carrying their mattress all around campus my freshman year of college so i arrived to new york city from rural arizona to like greet my adult interaction with sex um with uh, stories of extreme violence all around all the time and i remember at 18 absolutely disregarding what that person said because of the lawyers who pulled up the direct messages on her facebook profile that had her flirting with him after or had them flirting with him after the rape um the uh, and it was because i didn't know because your mom instills that in you your mom tells you if you get drunk you will be raped because your mom is afraid that you will get hurt and so then it becomes incumbent upon you to constantly be behaving as if you have to hold up your experience in court Mm -hmm. um and it makes everything awful and everything terrifying um so you know that's just that, that kind of shit it colors everything and makes everything it's so easy to when a woman is seeing another person who's attacked to immediately jump to identifying with it and because of internalized misogyny hating yourself for putting yourself in that position and therefore not believing that person um right. it's incredibly toxic and it is a, a culture that exists both in men and in women and and with that specific instance so i'm sure often so many people uh, having shared that same campus experience, or I would guess very different, but in the same location yeah. as Kate, uh, people being like, well, she's an asshole, which should not come up in this conversation at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but often the, the, the person's uh, moral fiber will start to be to- taken down uh, yeah. because well, we, as a site, we can't handle that bad things happen to anybody. So we start to look for what did they do? Not just drinking, mm-hmm. but in general, who are Oops. they in the world to deserve yeah. that? Cause they have to have, not me, right? I mean that that's like that's what it is just over and over again. Not me. Like I it it, it can't happen to me cuz I wouldn't do that. It, mm-hmm. it 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 that I don't have an experience like that. There must be something that protects me from that. Yeah. It must be my behavior. And it it's, you know, it it's because we are terrified, I think, as a society to look at the full scope of this problem. I always talk about the Lolita podcast, Jamie Loftus, Lolita podcast. One thing she points out in that is when Freud was first like putting together his ideas, he looked at um, sexual abuse within families and it looked so bad to him that people recommended that he help cover up the problem and say that all of these people must just be making it up. And since then, that has been our perspective on it, that, that sexual violence can't be as pervasive as everybody says it is. It just can't be right. And we are so afraid of what's going to happen if we say, holy shit, you guys, we are like deeply, deeply, deeply fucked. Yeah. And we have to start actually seeing it and not just constantly saying not me and turn and finding some way to turn away, even though that's the most, the single most human thing you can do sometimes. Yeah. And it's not just that, but like the, the, the go-to question is, what did you do to get abused? As opposed yeah. to the first question, which is, why did they abuse you? Like, what right. did this mm-hmm. person do to, like, why would this person abuse you? We, like, well, again, well, everything about this movie is, like, questions of provocation. Mm-hmm. And and the uh, Connie Britton says it. She's like, well, we have to give these young men the benefit of the doubt. But never entering in, why not give these young women the benefit of the doubt? Like, it, it's yeah. just stacked. Like, of course, we, we give Bash from Glow the benefit of the doubt. Look how handsome and rich he is. And white. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and I, white, no less. <laughs> <laughs> I know this movie feels like that. It is preaching to the choir a lot of the time. But uh, 
I think this movie hey, does it. Apparently, uh, the choir really needs to hear it. Yeah, that's what I keep sensing. I think this movie does a really good job of saying, um, although, uh, you know, uh, we're protecting this promising young man's life and we're making sure that it happens, the, 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 his victims, their lives are ruined. And mm-hmm. what if they were able to go on and accomplish things? You know, yeah. like what if this guy went to jail and yeah. these two women could go on knowing that he's in jail and Nina and Cassie and then accomplish wonderful things. And that, but no, we have to, uh, we have to protect the promising young man. Yeah. And that's that, that specific factor that is so prevalent throughout the movie. It's, it's the narrative con- construct, which is the like effect outside this, you know, Carrie Mulligan isn't the one who was raped and filmed. Um, you know, it's the, it's the effect outside of it that this movie kind of centers. Um, and, you know, you can apply this to, to everything because, you know, thinking about the Cuomo stuff coming out lately, you mm-hmm. know, like um, abuse of power is ubiquitous. Um, and and again, what is so hard for people to understand who aren't living it or witnessing it or like helping people get through it is lives are changed. You know, that Cuomo being a fucking creep. Reverberations are huge. Cuomo being a fucking freak there are women who are not pursuing politics because of that. Mm-hmm. You know, I have had friends who have had internships at very prestigious places who like, because of X, Y, Z reason now don't work in that field. Um, you know, it, that is the, that is the most infuriating thing is that is the consequences outside of the trauma. Cause trauma, we can all be like, okay, yeah, we know what it is to be hurt in this moment and we know what it is and we can have sympathy for that but it's th- those those repercussions that completely dictate the fabric of of a whole like community's future that is so often forgotten in these movies and i think that that's what this this one did really really well we have to go to trivia <laughs> Kate. <laughs> oh boy trivia oh god okay guys uh we're going to take a break from talking about the movie Let's get get goofy. We're going to talk to trivia. You guys know how trivia works. Uh, Say your name. That's how you buzz in. Here we go. What is the name of the Robert Mitchum movie featured in the film? Night of the Hunter. Kate, Night of the Hunter. Kate. What is it? Night of the Hunter. Night of the Hunter, yes. Say your name and then say the answer. Okay, cool. Cool, cool, Number two. uh, When does the Night of the Hunter come up for a second time in the movie? Mike. Mike? In the middle. Mm. Uh, Ryan. That open for Greg, Greg. Show. Greg? Uh, actually, slightly after that, really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Kate, anything? Kate, no answer? No, it's the uh, lullaby that we hear when uh, Cassie is watching the rape video. Uh, director mm. Emerald Fennell played which character on The Crown? Uh, Kate. Kate. Camilla Parker Bowles. She played goddamn Camilla goddamn Parker Bowles. Man, she's good in that. (laughs) I know. She's really good. Uh, Who played the host of the Blowjob Lips YouTube video that Cassie watches? Greg. Greg. The director, Emerald Fennell. Yeah, Emerald Fennell. It's the director. Yeah. Hell yeah. (laughs) Greg. I I was hoping so hard that you said Camilla Bowles. Uh, (laughs) Nice, folks. Uh, what would you keep your vegetables that are not members of the root family in, but are not carrots? Mike. 
Mike? It, an emerald funnel? I'm just trying to think of Ryan wordplay. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> That's incorrect. Uh, Ryan, say it again. Just give us it one more time. All right. What would you keep your vegetables that are not, that are members of the root family, but not carrots in? What would you keep them in? Okay, I'm thinking... I'm going potatoes, Yukon, but I don't well, think it's gonna be, Isn't it going to be fennel something? Anything. Fennel something. I thought fennel was a seed. What do you keep vegetables in? <laughs> a drawer. A crisper. A crisper. Fennel drawer, Ryan. A potato sack, Ryan. Oh, I think, I think you're a cellar door. Incorrect. It's fennel bowls. <laughs> it's fennel. I combined uh, the fennel bowls. Fennel bowl. <clears throat> three, <laughs> three of the actors in this movie appeared on New Girl. Yeah. Name them. Kate. Kate. I love the hand raise. Uh, I wish the, I wish the listeners could see thank it. You. Um, Max Greenfield. Yes. Um, I Bo mean, Burnham. I don't know. Maybe. Huh? Is Bo Burnham? No. Uh, okay. Do I? Okay. So someone else is. Actually, turn. I'm going to give three points for this. Kate okay, gets okay. one. Mike. Mike. Sam Richardson. Mike. Oh! <laughs> Greg. Uh, he was Winston's partner. Uh, Greg. Oh, fun. I thought that was nice to see him, Pedro. Um, uh, Shit. Uh McLovin. <laughs> no. Um oh Chris Kate? Kate Chris Lowell? No. Mm. Wait, wait, wait. Okay. Somebody oh, used to date Kate, Jess Kate. and Kate. Le- oh no. I was gonna say Laverne Cox, and I don't think that's very Kate new name girl. people from the movie that we watched. <laughs> Laverne that's Cox was in the point. movie. Laverne we Cox, Cox was, was Gail, Ryan. You stupid Sorry. dummy. <laughs> All right, the other answer was uh Jess used to date Seth Cohen. That's the name I was Oh. Who is Adam Brody married to? It's hint, it's not Summer Roberts. Mike. Mike? Rachel Bilson. Incorrect. That is Summer Roberts. (laughs) Yeah. Married. Greg. Yeah, Greg. Emerald Fennel. (laughs) That's a good guess. Uh, She's from, I think, Gossip Girl. Her name is Leighton Meester. Meester, Uh, Meester. Are they really married? What would yes? What would happen? Oh. I'm sorry. Hold on. Uh, what would what would Happy Gilmore call Adam Brody's wife if she fell out of a window? Greg, Greg, Meester, Meester. It is Meester. Yeah. Meester. <laughs> hey, you know that Mister Mister Wayne? I think she's dead. <laughs> I think I just killed her. Um. All right. Why do you hope that uh, Bo makes turkey for Christmas dinner? Mike, Mike, because he won't burn him. Mm. I'm gonna say incorrect, but he will burn him, right? So close, Robert why, Burnham. Why do you want him to make turkey for Christmas dinner? Locale, kind of a healthier meat. Because because Bo will burn him. Mm, okay, Bo, uh, Bo, Bo will burn him. The answer is because uh, you want him to make turkey because Bo burn ham. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Ryan, I can tell you're frustrated with us for not getting your jokes. And I want you to know that the audience will be on our side. Yeah, thanks, I, audience. I sincerely <laughs> doubt that. Uh, what is the name of Chris Lowell's character on Veronica Mars? Greg. Chris Lowell plays Bash and also the ultimate murderer. Yeah. Uh, the ultimate murderer. <laughs> I've never you're never going to get Mars. away with a name like that. <laughs> I'm the ultimate murderer. Mike. Yeah, Mike. I don't think it's right, but Logan? No. That's the guy from iZombie. It's Piz. Piz? <laughs> Please say your name before you ring in here. Uh, what is the name of the character's candy dispenser based on that Pez, character? Pez. Greg. Kate. Pez. Greg. Pez. Kate. 
Greg. Kate you didn't Pez, say Pez. Kate. Kate. I said it though in the end, and that Kate is that Pez. <laughs> Incorrect. What is the name of the characters? Candy dispenser. Greg. Pizz's Pez. Pizz's Pez. Pizz's Pez dispenser. It's Piz Pez. Piz Pez. I'm gonna give it to Greg. Yeah. <laughs> I just watched in horror at all. I I didn't even think about it. I was really circling the drain on that one. I was so close. (laughs) It it was piss pass. Animal hands were added to that character candy dispenser. What are those called? I I wasn't listening. Repeat the question for Kate, Yeah, repeat the question, Ryan. Animal hands were added to that character's candy dispenser. What are those called? Mike. Pisses, pez, paws. Pisses, pez, paws. Piss, pez, paws. Piss, pez, paws. Kate, just say your name. Just, yeah, just... I'm sorry. I'd hate to intrude. <laughs> no, you are intruding all over and you love it. Just follow the rules. Those animal hands on that Veronica Mars character candy dispenser are used to handle turds. What are those called? Piss, pez, paws, poops. Kate. Kate, <laughs> just say your fucking name first. Kate, go ahead. Kate, piss, pez, paws, poops. It's piss, pez, paws, poops. Those turds that were handled <laughs> by the bare hands of the Veronica Mars character Candy Dispenser watched the film The Help and was inspired to bake. What did they make? Mike. Kate. Piz, Mike. Pez, Paws. Piz, Mike. Pez, Paws, Poops, Pie. That is correct. Mike. Uh, also, that pie Mike is upset. What is it called? Oh, this is for everybody. What is it called? Piz, yeah. Pez, Pie, Pissed. Greg, say your name. Greg. Kate. Kate. Piss, piss, pie, pissed. <laughs> piss, piss, pie, pissed. Piss, piss, pie, pissed. I think we missed, we missed some, so it's just Mike, there's so piss, many. Pi- Mike, Mike, there's so piss, many. Piss, piss, pie, poop, pie, piss. Damn it. <laughs> it's pissed, piss, pies. Piss, piss, pies, poop, pies. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give that to me. <laughs> yeah, that's a wrong right. point. And, and now we're doing tri- shopping spree. <laughs> and that's trivia. <laughs> when we come back, another taste bud. Kate? Yes. Greg? Yes. Michael? Yeah? <laughs> Jane? Das? I wonder if Promising Young Woman is going to get a like legacy, if it's going to get a uh, reputation for its ending. I do want to spend mm-hmm. a little bit of time on that right now. And I'm going to start by asking guys this, and then you guys can fight over it. Women have a complicated relationship with dying at the end of novels and movies and such. We is have it, a problem with that. Is it, <laughs> women be dying. Women be is dying. It disappointing. And I want to focus on that word disappointing. Is it disappointing that Cassie dies? I was disappointed. I, 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 this question speaks to me. First of all, it's just well put. Um, but uh, I, I initially was disappointed. Um, I, I just watched a movie. Or I watched part of a movie and then my wife told me how it ended uh, called like I Care A Lot. And uh, the, worst, the worst movie I've seen in 20 years, by the way. And spoilers for I Care A Lot to follow here. But um, she also dies at the end of that. And Wait, it's just, Pike? Yeah. And it's just like, uh, you know, it's just like, okay, so this woman did something. And now at the end of the story, she dies. But then I was like, you know what? I don't know. Her, like, she died and rose again to haunt the people who wronged her she it's not died the same and rose again to pike uh, there's there's two endings that we have to talk about because uh first i want to talk about the fact that she does die she gets mm-hmm. smothered for two and a half minutes it's by rough from to Glow. watch and, and she's th- not like in irl like real time irl have to watch it 
yeah. there's another 20 minutes after that. So I want to <laughs> talk about the fact that Cassie dies. And then later, guys, in like five minutes, we're going to talk about the rest of the movie. It, and she dies screaming, crying. Like, it's like... It's, it's a brutal thing to watch. Yeah. 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 It, it is, if, if before that moment, if you were like, this is just a normal revenge movie and you're missing a lot of the stuff, this is going to, like, if the brutality of watching it has missed you so far... Emerald made sure, like, well, I'm going to fucking get you by the end and put the two and a half minute actual, like, she talked to cops and were like, yeah. how long does it take to die uh, by hmm. suffocation with a pillow and made sure they filmed it like you would. Wow. When that is, as viewers, not just mm-hmm. analyzers, but viewers, when were you like, oh, fuck, she's actually dead? Like, were you guys holding on to hope for yeah. minutes after? No. Just, just go back and be no. a real revenge movie and, like, she sits up and stabs him or something. Like, No, this is for fun. When she was, like, the way in which Carrie Mulligan, like, screams and cries during it, like, you know, it's not, like, it feels very final. I mean, it, it I did not think she was going to suddenly pop up again. And then... That is what makes her popping up in any form again um, kind of remarkable, right? Because then she does come back as as a disembodied like yeah. r- now she really is dead and she really is just this a ghost, text ghost of of text ghost. yeah of revenge. Which is funny because um, I found that ghosting actually typically involved involved no texts. <laughs> That's why she's she's ahead of the curve. <laughs> Let me ask you this, uh, for, so there's that Hi. there's that. Oh, does she have a death wish the entire movie? Is this the only way the movie could have ended? Um, I don't know if it's because she had a death wish. I do think it's the only way this movie could have ended if we're just looking at female narrative tropes um, in terms of, as, again, uh, glass push-up, literature degree um, from a women's college. Uh, I have a lot to say about this. I think that, um, yeah, there was no way she was living to see the end of that movie. And I think I, I, I definitely picked up on that at the beginning uh, because of the pure... And outside of even like a narrative level, a, a pure gut instinct as a woman, um, seeing someone put herself in that situation where every single fucking week she was pretending to be fall over drunk um, in front of these men, that was not going to... She's not safe. She isn't actually a superhero. She's a woman who puts herself in incredibly dangerously compromising positions. Um, she gets literally sexually assaulted every time she does Every this. single time, yeah. Because yeah. she makes sure it goes as far as that so she can know. So no, that way the no matter what, white, she's getting yeah. panties pulled off or uh, yeah. forced yeah. kisses or whatever. Her job is to, is to not... Is to, what it, her job is is to externalize the, the uh, transgression of boundaries that women feel internally, externally, which requires a man to register that what he has done is sexual assault and it's actually quite hard to get them to kind of register that super easy and it has to go to a certain level which does involve explicit violence against her and i think that when we're looking at like there are two resolutions to a traditional female narrative and that's marriage or death and we knew she wasn't getting married um and so to me i think that that uh, is part of what emerald did we not know that what do you mean did we think that like halfway through the movie did we think that she was going to get married Right. I, I, I think the movie the gave us movie? that hope in the middle uh, to be like, let's chill out. And so yeah. it hits even harder to determine the one nice guy in the movie is also a fucking dirtbag. Ryan yeah. is a fucking dirtbag. I don't know. Uh, dirt bag. His name is whatever. <laughs> Ryan's a dirtbag. And, and at that point, there is no going back because she had hope for the first time in years. And then yeah. once Ryan is a dirtbag, she is like, yeah. oh, no. That's and broken. then that's when... 
she's going to take out everybody as hard as she can on the yeah. way out. I have something to say about Bo Burnham that I do not think you guys would say. Um, and that is, I think that his casting in this role is perfect. Um, and I'm saying that as a perspective, say that again. No, I definitely agree. I think that, yeah, I think that he was perfectly cast and I, I think he's perfectly cast beyond his personal skill, which I think is incredible. I really am a huge Bo Burnham fan. Um, when Bo Burnham was first happening, when he was a 16 year old wonder kid doing comedy songs, his target demographic was me. Me and Fulton were talking about this um, a couple when we when we were going over this movie. Um, Bo Burnham's target demographic were women, girls, were 11, 12 year old girls. Um, and throughout his entire career, he has talked about the fact that that is his target demographic enough so that like eventually he'd make eighth grade. He would direct is, a movie, which is clearly proving that. Which is which is a um, oh my god! It's it's a it's a love letter to the young women who are exploited constantly before they even know know what that is. Um, and the not only is so so this relationship between like women my age with Bo Burnham is very specific because of that because he constantly and forever since we were children shown respect and consideration for the experience of his audience. Um, he also was a YouTube star. Which, like, in different generations, very different. Like, when you, if you're 11, 12 and YouTube was just happening, that is an incredibly intimate space. It's one divorce of your parents, it's one you have inside of your own home. And so, those YouTubers you form bonds with are like very powerful. And so, Bo Burnham, between like being an advocate for like 12, 13 year old girls my entire life, his, his, all of his material has always been about like an awareness of his position. Um, in one way or the other to and and also he's super crushable like every woman I know has had a crush on Bo Burnham since they were 12 because he's like so likable and so nice and whatever uh when that when he is seen on that tape or when we're heard on that tape I had a full hand over mouth like tear up moment because it was like Bo (laughs) you represented everything that made me feel safe in this world um and and that was that was torn away i thought he was perfectly cast for that reason yeah because that moment is even the not because bo burnham doesn't call himself a nice guy or ryan doesn't call himself a nice guy but that that moment was saying even the real nice guys have some skeletons in their closet have been around fucked up stuff because that's just how fucked up the world is yeah oh god that's happened to me I've been crazy about guys who have like, oh, that rapist's still in your band. Oh, you co-owned a boat with that guy. Both two examples. Okay. (laughs) Don't trust anybody who co-owns a boat. (laughs) Young men should not own boats. (laughs) If you're you're a guy, you're either in a band or co-own a boat. Those are the two types of dudes. And what, like, no matter what, it's terrible. Yeah. I think there's a lot of that, a lot of casting of... um, men in this that are likable outside the space of the movie and that mm-hmm. that that it's kind of used against you like adam brody or sam richardson oh max yeah and greenfield. max greenfield's whole thing is that he's like charming I, f- yeah. I feel like the one that was a misstep in a lot of different ways and the one that i'm having trouble processing is is casting mclovin 
Um, his performance to me was the only, I felt like he more than any other guy in the entire movie made sure that you understood that the real McLevin is not like the guy that he's portraying. And that offended me so deeply because first of all, this, the the guy, the, this McLevin guy is probably the guy who's most like me. And so I saw, I see a lot of myself in the character and I love it. So sorry. Yeah. And so I already, I, I, I hate him because he's, (laughs) I, I see myself in him. Right. And, um, but, uh, I hate when actors play actors, but they don't make it real so that you know that the real actor is not actually a cannibal or whatever. Uh, and that's what McLevin does here. He, he wants you to know that he's not as bad as this guy that he's portraying. But the rest of them seem to yeah. pretty do a pretty good job of like really yeah. being a likable guy in real life, but in this movie acting like this nice guy yeah. trope, which has really become like the worst type of guy. Right. Well, let me have, let me have like a, a woman's ahead, instinct. A woman's instinct. McLevin is probably of all those actors, the one who most likely has horrific skeletons. Uh, yeah. That, that, and, and says I'm a nice guy, but yeah, I yeah. think that's why he played a parody of a yeah. LA actor. And he, he was, he was saying it. things like Roman does on party down, like mm-hmm. that super pretentious film. He, he's very like guy in your MFA, everything he was saying, yeah. what felt cartoonish in a way that yes. none of the other dudes felt. Even mm-hmm. Sam Richardson's fedora felt more real. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Damn, the whole time the, the, the actor, Christopher Mintz Plass was just being like, Oh, be like james franco my good friend james franco yeah, <laughs> yeah. i will definitely do that i, I do yeah. wonder don't know him no dog in this race is he was the coked up character so if his angle was not to protect the real christopher mintz plus but it was like how do coked up people sound i'm yeah. right there no no right there right there it's then he mis he misconstrued the project at least as was depicted mm-hmm. by emerald to every single other one of the cast members i know guys explicitly was casting women that are funny so the other women feel comfortable on set so it's like if he's doing i don't know bo burnham and all of the other and all those other comedic guys are they're all willing to kind of put it on the line their actual reputation yeah, yeah. they might also be better actors than christopher they also might just be better i got to say though yeah like i do agree with that like i this is going to sound hacky, but I cannot wait for Emerald Fennell's next movie. You know, like, I thought this was good. I think her mm-hmm. next one's going to be great. I don't yeah. Dude, care. it's the one after that that's really going to be a smash. Personally, think, that's what I think. I don't think you cared about how Christopher Mintz Her in memoriam is going to be. <laughs> in this and, movie. And because she's a woman, Kate has taught us she will die at the end. Of she her. will die at the end. If she's not married. <laughs> oh, no. She's going to die eventually? <laughs> <laughs> All right, welcome to Speed Round, folks. Here we go. Are the people comparing this film to Joker completely missing the point? Yes. Yes. All right, just Kate might get points there. Greg, <laughs> I I don't think not. Moving I don't think the they're missing one. the point. I think the point that I think the movie is making that point. I think you're supposed to come to that stupid conclusion. The director's name is Emerald Fennel. What's another mineral slash herb combo that could be a name? Diamond um, oregano, Kate sapphire, diamond okay. oregano. Fuck. Was yours guy? I just want to hear everybody's no. Kate sapphire. What? I was going to be a sapphire anise. I thought that that sounded beautiful. <laughs> quartz time. Oh, it's quartz time. Quartz baby. time, baby. <laughs> quartz time feels like a pretty big person around town until diamond oregano walks out of the yeah. <laughs> boom. Uh, did you guys know that? Uh, oh shit! Did we do the last question? Did we talk yes. about the ending yet? Yes. We did talk no. about the ending. Did we though? Right. Okay. Oh no, because you said we'll talk about it again. Yeah, I don't know in if five I minutes about the, the real ending. ending, and then we we talked about a lot of things there, Ryan. Oh, uh, we didn't talk about it, but 
Do you guys know that uh, <laughs> you, you can schedule text messages? Is that something? No, you can do in the no, I've never heard that. I, Is and this you a paid app? You know what? I know that they don't do. They definitely don't say in an individual text message. The dots, yeah. Comment or or what is it? Whatever message, pre-written message. What would they pre-written scheduled mess- message? They definitely don't send a text saying scheduled message well, colon. What if she did to <laughs> fuck with them? And maybe she scheduled out eighteen one, so it would go dot 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 dot. Oh, that, that, I mean, clearly she had to have just for the mechanics of it. Enough. I want to do this. <laughs> Does Cece know what Schmidt is up to? <laughs> no. I was able to forget that it was Schmidt, except oh, for the, the exact. Okay. But here's a moment He's where I could not. Guy. When he notices that she is dead, which is the His worst possible time for him to suddenly seem like Schmidt, that is when he seems so special. Like, Cecilia! Cecilia! What's Cecilia going on why here? is the stripper dead in the oh, bed? The, the physical <laughs> and his physical like recoil was very. I mean, that's the thing is that we did hire comedic actors. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they are funny. That's like, the, like that whole scene is shocking, actually. Right. The scene of just, it's just the two guys. Yeah. Because one, it's the only tenderness we see like yeah. it's, and it's like disgusting to watch is to right, see yeah. these men like take care of each other and it's also it um two incredible comedic actors i love chris lull saying it seems yeah. like it's kind of my fault yeah yeah it's very darkly funny <laughs> yeah it's very darkly funny chris but it lull is kind of outside been, of the rest uh, of the movie chris lull was piz in veronica mars and bash mm-hmm. on glow and mm-hmm. now i fucking never has a normal name i fucking hate his guts all right. Why? He was a little too good at pretending to murder her. He was a really good. He did not do the McLovin thing where he was like, ooh, how would you even smother? I don't, ooh, this is, I guess, how somebody pretentious would do it. Well, that's, he was he, like, I would grab my foot to get extra leverage on right. my yeah. knee. Th- this performance was great is that he, it should, he was angry. She made, she dared to make him face his younger yeah. mistakes. And that yeah. he, exactly the, the minute he jumped on her, he wanted to kill her. Yeah. Next one. What is the likelihood? What is the percentage of dudes who watch this movie and say uh, hashtag not all men as they're watching it? Wait, out loud or in their mind? I'm going to say, you know what? Both out loud or in their mind. Oh, okay. Then we're going to go top number. I'm going to go at least 65. I'm gonna out go loud or in their mind? Oh, yeah. No, I both. Think... no at least 65 yeah. in their mind. I'm being generous. I don't know. You guys tell me. Am I being too Kate, kind I think to there you? are elements to this movie that we are blinded from by being men, and there's an element that you are blinded from being a woman. I would yeah. say 100% of men at some point in this movie would be like, wait a minute, not all dudes are. Because that is, I think it is meant to trigger that in yeah. you on some level. So that mm-hmm. on some level, you will, against your will, because that's how it happened to me, you will be like, but wait, at least some are, isn't there going to be one? Can't there just be one moment where a guy, and yeah, that's, a, that's a moment of being not all men. I mean, that's, that's yeah. what it looks like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's th- that, that moment flashes very on purpose is when Ryan ends up having been uh, at the film. Yeah. Right? You're like, uh, we're not allowed one good guy in here. And if, if yeah. part of your hackles yeah. raise at that, it's like, Welcome oh, to you. the female dating world. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Not one. <laughs> and oh, again, a friggin' bone. If I could just point out that Ryan, the character, played by Bo Burnham, Yes. Yes. Me. Obviously. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> Nobody would invite Ryan to any kind of party. Yeah. No. Ryan isn't showing up anywhere. He should. Right. <laughs> Kate. All right. Final one. <laughs> <laughs> I felt directed. Feels pointed. <laughs> uh, and final speed round question, Kate. Yes. We're good guys, right? We're good boys, right, Kate? I give you. I grant you all good boy status. I think. And you, you forgive are. us for any transgressions. I won't go that far. Um, I do Smart, want you guys to sit in your discomfort because I do. I am. 
I'm 100% certain that you guys felt weird after oh, yeah. watching this movie. So, you know, we're all part of the system. It's awful. And I know that at least, I, I know for sure that at least th- you three feel Brad, guilty. Mike. Ryan. It, so, so many so many times uh, on the show, we've said like, oh, this movie changed my life. But like, I, I've yeah. gone through like, you know, the 20-year the work of like, I'm a straight white male. Let's uh, dismember Fix that, that. <laughs> and, and yeah. think about it. Dismember. Uh, and it's so funny. Every time you're like, I think I'm there. And then watching this, I was like, you're fucking nowhere, you piece yeah. of mud dog shit. Because <laughs> like, the more you're you think you're there. You're just a piece of mud dog shit. Yeah. <laughs> no, the closer because- you think you are, you real, there's a thousand violences you have no clue you're enacting, which is true of... A lot of everyone has that, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But white men, I'm glad you guys are really feeling the burden of it. Um, but <laughs> that's my I cake, like actually. So it's been pretty great for me. Oh, I. That's the hard part about disciplining men. <laughs> <laughs> Bummer. I mean, it's not the only hard part. <laughs> the enthusiasm with which you delivered. <laughs> There's a whole little, a whole little motion. Yeah, I had a good fun. <laughs> All right, we have to give this movie awards, and then yes. we have to decide what where it's like where we think it's going to go in the bracket. So we're going to take a break, and when we come back, best performance in this movie. Oh my goodness! Promising young woman, you were all three of those things. But now it's time for awards where, you know what, girl? I have this weird feeling where you're going to get nominated for almost everything and win nothing. And so what we're going to do right now is we're going to give six awards to you. Six. Dang. Let's start with Mike. I'm Mike. Hi, Mike. Hello. The first award, award for best is, Mike. is best use of music. Mike, what do we got? Mine, th- there's too many options. Uh, yeah. I guess that's what makes this an award. But every time I thought I nailed it down, it would get wiped away. And it has to be the four, the four, the four piece quartet or whatever it is mm-hmm. of Toxic, the orchestral Toxic, as she's putting on her nurse outfit and getting yeah. ready to go and going towards the cabin. It is so, it just fucking captures. Yeah. The movie Perfect Live. Toxic, the single best pop song of the 21st century. Hashtag, we're sorry, Britney. Yeah. Wow. I mean, doesn't that extra, but doesn't the extra layer of Britney being like a it literal is, prisoner yeah. of her father oh, being like, perfect. I would love to be free, and yeah. judges mm-hmm. being like, not yet. Britney Spears as a character, there's Britney Spears. It's not that her aesthetic was ever the most relatable woman in the world. It's just been her reality for a very, very long time. And <laughs> uh, and she, on top of that, has pop banger after pop banger. And there's nothing cooler than the song Toxic. <laughs> <laughs> Except for maybe this version of the song uh-huh. yes, Toxic. Precisely. And the slow way the movie like puts it together. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, it like really the good. song is kind of built over like a, a couple so minutes spooky. of film. Allegedly yeah. that uh, Emerald Fennell sent uh, Carrie Mulligan a uh, uh, mixtape of what the movie was supposed to be. <laughs> mixtape? Toxic was on there twice. So yeah. it's an important song. It's an important song for all of us. Greg. Yes. Needle Drop. Where are we going? Okay, so that's obviously it. But uh, the opening and the sound, I listened to the soundtrack this morning, man, yes. banger after banger, mm-hmm. a lot of confusing songs in there, mm-hmm. some that I was aware of, but uh, his kit, his hit 
his hits felt like kisses or when he hits me if they feel like it feels like kisses. Uh, the crystals he yeah. hit me and it felt like a kiss that's a classic motown hit very interesting uh so great <laughs> great soundtrack a lot of cool sounds on it the but like was busy thinking about the boys the opening where the it's opening. like charlie xcx yeah. of khaki and mm-hmm. just like guts and just a bunch of yeah. mediocre white maleness and i was like i'm home these are these are my people <laughs> um yeah. this is exactly what every woman dreams of and on top of that ladies they're sexual predators that's right <laughs> they've got a little bit of everything Kate, uh, what yes. do you think? Best use it's, of music. Oh, and it's hard because the the soundtrack is perfect. I I kid you not. I was listening to the soundtrack and I went and I cross referenced with my go to all women's college party playlist that we would play often. And there are four tracks that are played in both this screenplay or in, both in this soundtrack and in that's uh, uh, whatever playlist. It is uh, it the. It, the soundtrack completely understands what it's going for. So with all that in mind, I will say, since no one's talked about it yet, of course, Paris showing up. <laughs> we felt we had to leave it for you. So- <laughs> oh my God, thank you. No, it feels good to talk about. Paris Hilton and everything she represents to this film and to women at large mm-hmm. is incredible. And there's, there are, of course, there's always going to be a debate over, you know, self-exploitation of sexuality under late capitalism in terms of feminist aesthetics. Yes, that's going to be a conversation. That being said, does Paris Hilton's pop banger Stars Are Blind rule? Yeah. Yes. It really yeah. does. It really does. <laughs> and Bo is so cute when he performs it. Yes, he is. And yeah. I think that's part of the point. <laughs> uh, that point goes to Kate. Thank and you. That's part of the betrayal at the when he turns out to be such a I dick. Know. Like watching the movie for the for the second time, <laughs> and you feel still swept up in his charm, and you're yeah. like, "No, stop! Yeah. This is an awful guy." It, it, the I movie's know. so effective at that. That's the betrayal of every man's charm. Yeah, <laughs> that's why I try to just ooze grossness right away. You just don't charm. At least I don't let anybody charm. down. <laughs> no, you have to be like the dad. You have to be like the dad, yeah. kind of disconnected and not yeah. really part of the world anymore. You have to go west, uh, at least mentally. That's the dream, man. Well, yeah, no, Greg, just... what you just said is a mouthful and more real than I think you realize. <laughs> I think that's very true. I think that's how a lot of dads handle it. <laughs> yeah, right? You just you check out. Check like, out. <laughs> you're about 70% there. You go stand on the lawn and sort of look at the street for a while. <laughs> the next award is Best Revenge. Kate, in the movie Promising Young Woman, what is the best revenge? I think the best revenge is uh, okay. A life well lived. It's a life well lived. <laughs> <laughs> the best revenge, serve cold. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go with. Um, oh, I, I wasn't expecting first seed here. Okay, I'm going to go with the at least what was supposedly the most satisfying, which is. That final, um, that final revenge, number five, and it's the most satisfying because, in that it's not satisfying at all, and um, it is nice to see that these men will be, at least some of these men will be locked up for their murder. Of, I mean, that goes back to to Carrie Mulligan as a Christ figure, right? Where like, yeah, she, there was no way that those boys were going to pay for Nina's death. Her right. suicide, yet again, her choice, right? And so you had to have something that, like, the system would recognize as 
inherently there is no two. You murdered a stripper violently and burned her body with your friend. Uh, and Carrie Mulligan's character provided that. And so in that sense, it's like, yes, this is the most final retribution you have given your entire life to this effort. And there are men who deservedly so will be locked away for life, even though they're even though they're only being locked away for half of the crime to begin with mm-hmm. in some senses. Um, but of course, in the same ways, those are that's not a totally satisfying end because it requires the death of two women. So right. it's like, you know, it doesn't feel like good. But in terms of the efficacy, <laughs> uh, I would say the the final the final revenge. Also, there's something about being like, oh, good, the criminal justice system is here. And yeah. it's like, isn't this just another institution that's going to just fuck everything up? Yeah, and... that reminds you that the only person of color you see in their entirety is a tokenized Laverne Cox. <laughs> Greg, best revenge? Best revenge, I would say, is the one against the dean. Um, because I, I feel like it, it, it shows the dean that, like, the danger here is just your daughter being with boys and there's some alcohol around. Yeah. Like if you can be so freaked out by that to where you're screaming and making a scene, it it, it, it makes the double point of like, fuck you, Dean. But then also like, Jesus Christ, really? That's how bad it is. And uh, yeah, it is. That, that is how bad it is. Uh, yeah. And so that sort of like double message right there is a real gut it punch. Makes you so scared to have a daughter. Mike. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Boy, oh boy. Huh? What is it? Yeah, I I agree with Greg. I think it's Dean Tammy. Uh, that th- just the mind games of she did she didn't need to get her daughter anywhere, but just the fact that she did to just in case she would call in the middle of their conversation and the way she lays out the information from oh my friend I used to go here and my friend and then just like Nina and just watching just like the the little chip away at at Dean's norm normal and then the there. the Dean going like is your friend okay and then she goes no she's not yeah like yeah. oh fuck I think just, that was ch- the best. Ch- ch- the best written revenge scene. Yeah. I think that, that I think that that was a really strong, I, I think on paper that is absolutely the, like just it's brutal. And I think that that's part of why I didn't pick it was like using the potential of the of violence against your daughter. Like that's just a brutal thing, but it, yeah. it's so illustrative because of that. Right. right. She just had I, to describe having your daughter alone. Yeah. I think it's the scene that sort of ruins the movie. It, or makes it more complicated. Mm hmm. I'm going to say, I'm going to give Mike the point. Kate. No, wait. I'm going <laughs> to give Mike the point. Greg. And then we're going to move on. Uh, I'm very confused what happened there. Mike, we'll start with you. Best sloppy drunk outfit. <laughs> I I don't understand. Greg and I had the same answer. Uh, Mine was, I, I thought, a little bit better. I don't know what to write down there, so I won't. That's fine. Bad hosting. Uh, the best sloppy drunk answer or costume is... I, I think the Madonna, where she's walking out with the Sam Richardson and runs into mm-hmm. Bo Burnham. Yeah, hell Just yeah. like that high pony and just like so perfectly the 80s. Yeah. The bangle. Yeah, it's it just like the outfit pops and also like watching that, like she, it, it's like glitzy and pay attention to me and also like there's something very angular and sharp and mm-hmm. uh, uh, huntress about that outfit. Yes, very much Greg? So. Uh, what I, another thing I like about that outfit is I feel like you can feel yourself assigning right. value to her in that outfit in a way that's very mm-hmm. like uh, interesting. You're like yeah. you're like feeling these ways about the same character that you've yeah. seen, but she's it's the just most like, sexually provocative of all of the, the yeah. outfits we see explicitly. <laughs> so it's def for me. It's definitely that look. Also, I just wanted to point out uh, how like she's got so many killer sober looks. It's a shame yeah. that we didn't get a chance to do an award for right. that. Ugh, that's so true. Kate, anything else about the uh, 
best sloppy drunk outfit? Yeah, I think that I think an, well, I think that the first sloppy drunk outfit deserves an honorable mention because going back to, again to like reappropriation and all that stuff, a woman in a pencil skirt power suit is a very strong, especially when you see that opening sequence where the, the construction men are, are you know, catcalling her and she's holding the bloody hot dog um, and yeah. inside of a man's power suit. Like, you know, that is shoes off. It's such a powerful image in terms of like the blend of feminine sexuality and male power and how those things interact with each other. That being said, the thing that I think deserves the honor, the, the go-to award is her McLovin costume in which she's applying the blowjob lips. I think the whole scene constructed around it is incredibly complex thematically. So you have her watching the, which every, you know, 15 year old girl has watched a perfect blowjob lip makeup tutorial. And, um, yeah, it's a bummer, dude. (laughs) And, um, and, Having so seeing her inside of that scene with all that makeup on, um, and you see all that makeup, and and in its first flush, that is a performance for men to attract men. Then she smears her lipstick, and all of a sudden, it's war paint. And then you see throughout Kate. the evening when she arrives at McLovin's apartment, that war paint looks a lot like vulnerability, looks very exploitable. And it's all within her own control. It's all within the same like realm of, of like the power of makeup and what we come, what it means when it's done for others, when it's done for ourselves. Um, and so I think that that is a very subtle and very powerful sloppy drunk outfit. And then McLovin's like, I don't even know what you wear. Your freckles and your imperfections. I love imperfections. <laughs> <laughs> McLovin. <laughs> All right, let's give that to Kate. And then Kate, up next is cringiest moment. Oh, no. Kate. <laughs> um, oh, no, sorry. My uh, computer was about to die. Um, cringiest moment. My cringiest moment that I have to give the movie. Uh, cringiest moment. I'm going to go with the first scene. Just because you don't quite know what you're watching yet. And so to be introduced to the thing that the thing that made the first scene upsetting in which Adam Brody um, is, you know, the nice guy who gets inside of her car. She's very cute. She's very charming. And then that switch to what, you know, he asks her over to it for a beer. Um that scene is very, very hard to watch because you don't understand yet that the film is about this is going to, she is going to be in this, you know, this is going to be what it's the first time you're confronted with the reality without a revenge tilt to it at all. So you just see a drunk woman at a bar and a guy who seems to be nice. And then seeing that switch over and seeing and having to watch and know from the second he says, Hey, my apartment's right around the corner that he's a predator um, that is, that is, that first cringe, I think is the most powerful, um, because it's one before we know there's any reclamation to it. Greg, cringiest moment. Uh, there's a lot in this movie to choose from, um, but the movie within the movie, uh, and I know this is an old one, so we have different standards for the movies, but, uh, a character is talking about things God doesn't like. He says things that are perfumed, things that are nice, uh, things with curly hair. <laughs> is one of the things he says that God and that hates. struck you. <laughs> um, I just wow! It was just I was part of the part of the fun until that, and then I was just taken right out of it. I have curly hair. Uh, <laughs> I do not believe God hates me. Uh, I am here. I'm I'm pr- proud. And that's to be very here. brave of you, Greg. Yeah, yeah. So and, and Mike, it's so weird that we often talk about how much uh, we find it funny that you and I are loved by God, but God hates Greg. 
But <laughs> go ahead and what is your what is your pick for cringiest <laughs> moment? Uh, my pick is the the Allison Brie revenge for oh it let the movie lets you sit for a while not knowing if Cassie really did hire a dude to rape her. And I found that like I was like, I think I have to re examine my relationship to this protagonist if she'll go this far. Cause like their revenge too far is just like but so in that moment, like it's hard because yeah. it, it made me cringe even though it that's what the movie wanted you to go through. Yeah. But until that other shoe drops, I, I found it so hard to sit. I truly have to give it to Mike. Um Mike. It it made the movie complicated. Uh hmm. Here's next. Director Sinister, Mike. Are you ready? Emerald Fennell's Director Sinister. This is always difficult with somebody's first film, right? Mm-hmm. So just going from this, I, I think it has to be the, the way she masterfully plays with that tone of going jumping between thrilling and gut-punching and funny. And so I'm going to fuck you and your jerk-off hands, Ryan. Uh, so I'm going to narrow it down to one moment, because I'm not going to be lazy and just say all that tone, is... Uh, it, I think what captures all of that is Max Greenfield's "Why's the fucking stripper dad?" Very schmitty, <laughs> but very like it's brutal. It's funny. It's like I'm going through all of the emotions Mike. in this one sentence right now. Mike, Greg, Emerald Fennell's director signature. Okay, I'm such a movie dum dum that I'm not sure if this is gonna work. But here's what I think: um, she makes these shots that are so composed that it, it like it almost hurts the symmetry in them uh whether it's a, if it's a circle right behind cassie's head or the wings uh the circle or do you mean the halo Blue yeah halo, uh, and any of that that imagery but then she would always in the a, a shot right after that break the shot she very purposely it felt like broke all of her really well-composed shots and i thought that was so interesting because it it sets it up and then breaks it for you over and over and over again so it was that sort of like yeah see how i have her framed perfectly and then one second later see how she's not Uh, i I just (laughs) i really enjoyed that it was really hard to tell during this movie whether she was more kevin smith or quentin tarantino based on like Hmm. do you know what you're doing or do you yeah totally not know what you're doing Mm -hmm. but for the most part it really did feel like that Again, I want to watch her next movie. You know, yeah. like I think that she will have it down on her next movie. She's not Zach Braff, Ryan. She's not. Yeah, Zach she doesn't. Braff. She's not a one and done. She's not Zach Braff <laughs> or a none and done. <laughs> a one and done, maybe. Kate, what uh, is your director signature? I think I think the scene that made me think the most about what she was doing is the um, the kind of interstitial transition scene into the meet cute with Bo Burnham. Um, it's a shot, it's a tracking shot up her spine. Um, and, you know, she has on this cute little white shirt with pink roses on it, and she's got her blonde braid, and it has the blue bow tie, which we know I I always appreciate um, a bow on a girl, because that way I know she's actually pretty, and we're not just lying. And, um, <laughs> and uh, and what we're seeing, when you see, for me, as a as a female film critic, um, whenever you see a tracking shot in a woman's body, it's almost always the male gaze. It's almost always a sexualized view of her body. And what we're tracking here, a tracking shot of her body, is, yeah, this feminine imagery, you know, braid and, and bow and, and, you know, blossom, right? Not to use alliteration, but <laughs> comes out sometimes. Um, and... Uh, but what we're watching is her tracking up a very strong and pronounced spine. 
And I think that is an incredibly interesting and subtle choice um, that then leads immediately into the Bo Burnham flirt scene. And so I think that that is a person who's aware of what she's asking you to look at, why she's asking you to look at it, and how she's playing with that. Yeah, she looks strong in the shot. And it's mm-hmm. so interesting. You don't often see the camera play over a woman's body <laughs> and it's to make her look strong. Yeah. But by the time you're done, you're like, yeah, she like must do Pilates or something because like yeah. she's obviously got a lot of muscle. That girl's there. got a strong spine, man. Yeah. <laughs> but that, what like, a backbone hello, on that one. Hello, butt. And her shoe game is on point at different mm-hmm. times in this movie when it's working for her. You know? But we deserve to see her body in terms of how splendiferously it's decorated throughout this entire film. All right, she works Kate. too hard. Two more awards. Here's the last, or second to last one. Here we go. Pound for pound performance. Kate, you're up first. Oh, Chris Lowell. 1,000%. Al Monroe. <laughs> okay. um, there's a lot of incredible performances throughout this, entire, throughout this entire movie. I really do think that. But pound for pound, like we were talking about, how good he is at showing what it is to have your rage at someone holding you accountable take over enough for you to murder a woman. Though he looks like he With has lost control. And not mm-hmm. only that, beforehand he does such a good uh, job at playing the like prep innocent mm-hmm. who's like wholesomely, you know, I got a fiance, not trying to do anything. You're not going to hurt me, right? You know. And then how quickly that becomes violent. And how pronouncedly and, and truly like it is upsetting to watch him do that. Um, and then when Schmidt comes up to the to the bedroom and we as have our funny do. stripper moment, as he do, as he is wont to do. Um, uh, oh, that is, immediately all of his comedic chops come out. I think he's one of the funniest. I love him in Glow. I think he's near perfect in Glow. I think he's hilarious. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And and it's a, it's a stack cast again. I think that he is so good at playing compelling tertiary male characters and female narratives. And for that reason alone, Chris Lowell deserves a little bit of an applause break. Gregory, Kate uh, takes Chris Lowell. Where are you going now? Yeah. Uh, I always want to have a cool one, but for me, it's just Carrie Mulligan. Um, and let me tell you why a lot of people play drunk. It, you gotta, you gotta do it in Hollywood. You gotta play drunk, and there's a lot of different types of drunk, and she plays a lot of different types. But one thing that she does a really good job of doing is, uh, none of her drunk characters are at all attractive. These men are trying to pick up like these, this hot, sweaty, uh, unfocused eyes, hair like flying in every direction. She can barely keep her eyes open. She can barely stand, and she does that. She she brings that across so effectively. Like it's mm-hmm. like trying to have sex with someone who's got the flu or something like it's so yeah. gross that even if it weren't a, a, a huge invasion um but uh yeah like she is able to pull off so many like layers of that and that's just you know one element of what she's doing over the course of this movie like i don't want to give greg the point right now that'd be ridiculous but i do think that carrie mulligan is amazing in this movie and i don't know how you can beat that i'm gonna give greg the point right now Mike. boom what do you think? Boom, really? Pound wow. for pound performance. Uh, I was also going to say Carrie Mulligan, but I want to give a shout out to our pal Bo. Uh, what he does of totally believably rom com lead of named Ryan drinking the spit uh, uh, of falling for her and being cute, being like very awkward but endearing. Uh, even though I think it's you know bad sign 
one is he she gives him a wrong number so he goes back to her place of business i'd say just don't do that but it all comes out very cute and rom-commy in that part of the universe to the his shift of being like devastated that she found out that he was at that party and had to remember it but into the again like chris Lowe, the anger of mm-hmm. she's shining that spotlight he's like you fucking failure yeah. It's like, I don't know, looking at your two lives, I don't think she's the fucking failure, but his, his like, simmering rage, that, like, because most rage doesn't turn murderous, it just turns insulting and outlashy like that. And it I just think, takes, it just takes a woman rejecting you in one right. way or the other, and all of a sudden things become incredibly violent. <laughs> and, then, and then that awkward endearingness is, is dropped, and you're like, so was it never there? But I think he, all of it feels real for that but character. But see, that's... Uh, Part of what that reveals when he says that is it reveals that he only probably had the balls to even hit on her because he thinks that she's less because he mm-hmm. is a doctor and she's not. And right. so then that means their whole relationship, even in the, the nice moments, was predicated on him feeling superior to her. He didn't hit on her when they were both just students at Forest Because she waited. him. Yeah. yeah, right? She was too cool. She was too hot. But now he's a doctor and she's not. She works at some shitty coffee shop. And so now it's time to like go and... and you know, try to hit on her. Oh, Greg, I hadn't thought about it, but you're so right, and that make me so mad. <laughs> did you think about how the whole thing is just a retelling of Young Goodman Brown? She goes to quote Forest, and that's where she finds out that uh-huh. everyone around her is actually terrible, and then she always hangs on to her like pink memento, and it's uh-huh. called Promising Young Woman, not Young Goodman Brown. All right, I will give no, Greg incredible. one point Greg. for all of that. Well, I'll give him two points for the all. Greg, yay! Uh. But now, guys, it's time for recommendation time, where we are going to let everyone know, four points, this is it, this is all the points that you're going to get, what do you think you should watch if you liked Promising Young Woman? Kate, we're starting with you. Starting with me? This guy? This guy okay. right here. This one right here? Okay. <laughs> um, so I, I thought long and hard about this because there's a lot of different directions, a lot of the different things that I liked about this movie that resonated with me. Um, but if I were to recommend a movie based on this movie and what I grabbed from it, um, I highly recommend 2014's A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Oh, um, shit. Directed and written by Anna Lily Armanpour uh, in the Iranian ghost town of Bad City, a place that reeks of death and loneliness. The townspeople are unaware they're being stalked by a lonesome vampire. Um, it's been described as the first Iranian vampire western. It's an incredible movie. It's, it is one of those reappropriation tales. A woman in ghostly garb that carries a lot of um, gendered imagery with it um, attacks abusive men at night. And uh, there's a lot of, there, there is a lot about that movie that's striking and beautiful and worth watching. But the really the, the reason that's in my top, like any movies, is that there's one specific scene, which is when um, uh, the vampire brings her, her main victim back to her lair, which looks a lot like a cool dorm room covered in uh, band posters and a disco ball, and uh, plays the White Lies track Death. And it's the most beautiful. It, everything that is beautiful about movies is seen inside of that one, like two minute scene. Uh, it's my. It's probably my favorite scene of any movie ever. Uh, so I highly recommend watching A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. I'll go next. I'm gonna say uh, the skin I live in, which is an Almodovar movie, mm-hmm. which is just yet another movie about a dude saying my desire is worth more than your desire, and then doing what he wants. 
And then we have to sit there as an audience and deal with the consequences. And it's really, really rough. And it's Antonio Banderas. So we're like, wow, he'll probably figure it out. Right? (laughs) It's Antonio. That does not happen. Uh, (laughs) It's a really rough movie where you have to figure out or or, like you have to deal with the fact that like it's just a constant in your life of Mm -hmm. this type of person always will try to have, uh, you know, like control over this type of person. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mike, uh, I think if you if you like the the pulpiness that exists within Promising Young Woman, if you like the the woman's revenge, uh, go for Hard Candy, which is mm. a dope two hander between uh, Elliot Page and Patrick Wilson. Uh, who is so forgettable of a face that I forgot it was Patrick Wilson. I'm sorry, uh, Pop Filter? Uh, Pop Filter Vora? Vora. What does that stand for again? Value over replacement actor. Yes. <laughs> just the most neutral actor, but he, he, he's he got skills, man, and this one, it's just the two of them, Patrick and Wilson she is a... Rules. He's a king f- of a genre. What are you even saying? Yeah, but yeah. like, but you don't think that, but he, yeah. he's like very quiet there, uh, mm-hmm. and he's blandly handsome, and I, I think he uses it so well in, in this, so uh, Elliot plays a 14-year-old girl who has lured him. They've met on the internet, and because <laughs> somebody My- has hurt her somebody killed her friend and so she just slowly goes from mentally playing with him to physically torturing him mm-hmm. uh and and it's it's just awesome and watching uh ellie at that young age have the kind of power to own the screen for the entire movie is bananas yeah. that's a good one mike greg mm-hmm. what do you got i'm going to cheat because we were supposed to say a movie and uh, this movie just reminded me of so many different books. So I'm going to cheat and I'm going to pick the movie version of a book. But really, I'm talking about the book because I don't actually like the movie the version that much. The Thinking Man's much. book. Or The Thinking uh, Man's movie is a book. Yeah, yeah, it's like a movie that you read to yourself. Um, the, so the movie is Lolita. Uh, and here's my reasoning. Uh, Lolita is obviously about um, a, a sexual predator who, who, who preys on a young girl. But um, I think what Nabokov was doing in addition to that was talking about like what it's like for um, men to court women that they, that they loathe. Uh, He has so much loathing for this young girl that he's trucking all around the country. Um, And I saw a lot of that in this movie where it's, it's at the core of everything. It's like men are pursuing these women that um, they have no respect for and that they, uh, they hate and that they think of as subhuman um and the gross intersection of their desire and their lack of empathy and um mm-hmm. i think nabokov is revealing how how gross men are to women in general not just men towards children although that that's obviously in there and this movie picks that up by just having her never really appear attractive in any scene where uh, someone is actively hitting on her really i mean she always looks like a mess um and so that was really more than anything else. I just kept coming back to them. Just the amount of loathing for women that you hear in every line of male dialogue. Mm. Um, it, it, it was just, it's on, it's on, the only thing I can think of on par is the way that Humbert Humbert talks about yeah. Lolita. Well, Dolores. in Hannah Gadsby's Nanette, who that's a one woman show. So I didn't include it, but though that was, that was a very close, I was almost about to choose that like film in order to, for this 
genre um, or whatever this game is. And um, uh, but what she what she says in that set is misogyny is a mental illness because to desire what you hate is an incredibly tense state to be in. And I think that that is true. I think there is a psychosis to the hatred that that straight men have towards women that is very hard to digest and square. Um, and that goes unaddressed because it's easier than to like acknowledge that there is yeah. a, in everyone Word. a combined. And I think there's like this, I think everyone has this combined hatred and love of that, which you desire. Um, so yeah, I think that's a great choice, Greg. All right. We're going to go to trivia again. Trivia. I don't know. Actually, I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, let's take a break. And that's promising young woman. Kate, let's yes. go to you. How, how, do you mm-hmm. Is this going to win best picture of 2020? Do you think? Um, hmm. I don't think so. I don't think no. so. Why? Um, well, I think that there are some things that are kind of like, prohibitive about it being kind of a very niche genre in a very specific way and also obviously anything involving that much pastels uh, that many pastels and that many comedic actors um people are not going to say is good necessarily worth the same it's um, like an easter pageant it's an it's quite literally yeah it looks like an easter pageant Someone Uh, dies and comes back from the dead. I mean, it's very Easter. Yeah, it's very actually, it's incredibly uh, spring-like in that way. Uh, But I, I, it'll definitely be one of the movies that I remember the most from 2020. Yeah. That's, that's for sure. I I think that Carrie Mulligan might have a stranglehold on Best Actress. Mm. Uh, You know, I don't think that we got to her enough tonight. No, probably not. You could have talked about her for an entire 40 minutes. What do you think? As far as 2020 goes, I so this is the first of the season officially, but we've watched a handful of 2020 movies. I know what's coming up. I think this is gunning for it. I think young, Promising Young Woman is the movie to beat right now. I, that's exactly how I put it. It's definitely Be- the the movie to beat because yeah, we have seen like four of the movies. So we, we've seen <laughs> other movies, and and it, and it is if uh, what Kate said like there's too many pastels, there's too many comedic actors. It's a, a niche, but we're the academy of movie of the year best yeah. movie of 2020 so right within uh, this culture i think it might be the best movie of the year it's yeah. been my favorite if, so far if we started another show right now we could do a whole extra show which i'm not going to guys so don't ask but uh where we could talk about a whole host of different topics yes and, and still about this one movie and it's yeah. that's what gets you movie of the year when you could have like a double episode and we're done. When we're done, we're like, oh, I can't believe we didn't talk about this. No. That's the kind of movie that gets us excited because all we want to yeah. do is is talk. And I guess to a lesser extent, maybe listen to each other. Oh, Question. I'm not... Shut up. Yeah. Sorry. What did you say? <laughs> That's don't make. Hey, Greg. Don't make it gay. <laughs> <laughs> Only you can make that joke on the show. <laughs> I know. What? And what? Because we're Mike all evolved. Is, exactly. Is you're right. Up right. Yeah, now? dude. Mike got yeah. fancy. Yeah. He, I, put you know, up, he thinks he's gonna win. I might win. I wanted to come in. And <laughs> Listeners, Mike is now wearing a three-piece tux and what looked to be very expensive swimming fins. Let's do this real quick. Then <laughs> I got I got last place with eleven points. Uh, Mike got third place with twenty-seven points. There is no way that Mike won. Take the jacket off, bro. <laughs> it's hard when the the host is biased against you. Mm. Oh my goodness! Why? Because hey, you're a man, again, Mike. Ew. Why? Yeah. Gross. I'm sorry. Boo hoo. I would say hello, and you'd just be like, "Greg, Greg, Greg, Kate, Kate, Kate." I don't remember right. that. I don't. That. I don't it, remember any of that. I actually remember a lot. We of were Brandons. kids. We were I kids. I remember Brandon's. <laughs> uh, so Here's what won? I did. 
What I did the entire podcast mm. was reward people for saying interesting things, <laughs> mm-hmm. and Mike got last place. <laughs> yeah, so when I would talk, you would make literal jerk-off motions, which so is distracting. <laughs> yeah, I uh, yeah, distracting, but instructive. Yeah. Because they were broad strokes, man. I feel like I know more about Ryan now. <laughs> Those are deep Girthy. moves. Yeah. Good to know. Logging away. <laughs> Based on performance, I would say that Mike did not watch the movie. Greg, you got 34 points. I want to hang up. Kate got 36. It was close. Well done. It was close. Okay. But, but Kate be honest, is the winner Is that just because episode. I'm a girl? Is that because I'm a girl? Uh, I did not think about that when I was giving <laughs> points away. The only thing I thought about was, man, Mike is not saying anything interesting whatsoever. It's clearly, <laughs> it's clearly not based on just solely feminine energy, because I think I then I would have No, I think you would have won. Yeah, yeah, I, I think yeah. for sure. <laughs> I'm going to pause it. It might be that you studied the shit out of these topics <laughs> throughout life. And, and, yeah, and you're came right. To it might be play. that I know a lot to say. I have a lot to say about these things. It's true. I, I did. I wasn't prepared. Normally, we come, we make some jokes. We we say, "Oh, movies fun," and uh, you just <laughs> yeah, sat no. there and gave us fucking audio essays on shit, Kate. No, I know. And movies trust fun. me, you guys get to go home and like go to bed after this, and I will be journaling about how I feel I messed up tonight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we just text lo- each other about that. <laughs> yeah, you should get in that feed. Once again, Mike giving his Andrew Dice Clay response <laughs> for how he performed on the episode. Yeah, way to go, Mike. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are the clay man or the dice man or whatever it's, it's called. It's the clay man. Uh, so I, I, I don't know. We have we have varying degrees of hope for where promising young women will finish in the twenty twenty bracket. I don't, I don't, I don't really know. You were reservedly uh, not blown away, Ryan. Yeah, you did not aggressively. I hated this movie, but meant. but just kind of like, yeah, it didn't quite do it for me. Maybe next time. Yeah. I was. I would say that I loved all of its parts. It was definitely uh, less than its parts. Hmm. Yeah, yeah I'd I agree I, with that. I couldn't believe how great each part was. Yeah. yeah. You know? And I know it's hack to say, but I cannot wait for Emerald Fennell's next movie. Is it hack if you knows? say for the fourth time on a show? Or does that cancel it out? No, I think at that point it's vintage. Oh, okay. Do you guys remember when Sam Richardson said, Surge pricing, 1.2, you can walk, right? <laughs> I felt so uncomfortable how hard I laughed at that because I was like, no, he's being very bad. 1.2. That's what he bossed at. So funny. Get the Uber. 1.2. You can walk to my parents' place, right? Par- he was so funny. You have to be respectful. Richardson's so funny. You have to be respectful. Yeah. I wonder how much of that he improvised. Yeah. I'm not going to do uh, the ads at the end of the show because I don't want to get screamed at. But Kate, do you have a show that you want to throw out there? Yes, I'd love to throw it out there. Um, is it too early? Is it a premature throw? Certainly. No, he, um, said, he literally said talk about it. Yeah, you're right. Well, you, th- the last time I talked about a podcast, it no longer exists. So <laughs> hey, Podcasts can be ephemeral like that. It's this isn't true, coming out true. for a few weeks. So. Ephemeral fennel. Uh, or fennel, excuse me. Um, uh, okay, so the, my the podcast I'm currently working on that's going pretty well so far, if I may say, it's called Movies I'd Like to Fix, <laughs> shorthanded MILF, um, hosted by myself and my dear friend Tompkins. Um, we are going niche genre by niche genre, um, picking apart our favorite movies 
figuring out what it is we like about them, figuring out what it is we don't, and then um, using that knowledge to construct what we consider the perfect screenplay um, at the end of that season. Our first season is Revisionist Westerns. Um, Our first episode will be Dances with Wolves. I think it's going to be very, very funny. Uh, Tompkins and I have edited our trailer ad nauseum, and (laughs) we laugh when we listen. I'd imagine you all will, too. (laughs) We find ourselves very amusing. So you can find us, as of this moment, all we have to share with you is our Twitter, uh, prematurely made by my dear friend Tompkins, uh, called at movies underscore fix. Um, And eventually you will be able to find us uh, where all podcasts are found. Movies I'd like to fix, starring Kate Dallas and Daniel Tompkins. Thank you for your... And you'll tell Tompkins that I gave you that moment. I will never, ever let him know that you had a shred of kindness in your body for him. Next week, first cow. (laughs) Oh, Oh, I love first cow. Oh my God, are you guys talking about first cow? Next week is first cow. Oh my God, we're talking about first cow in our show. Whoa, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Kate, you know what's confusing about first cow? What? She ain't the first. Uh, Ryan's never seen zero cow. Zero yep. cow. Zero, zero cow. cow Thirty. Okay, so I think that I did a really good job of saying she ain't the first. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that one. That was better. Yeah. <laughs> I think I kind of, of the year. <laughs> we will continue our journey in figuring out what is the single greatest movie of 2020. Bye bye. Bye bye.